the Grey Morgan Lane podcast. <laughs> what is that supposed to be? It's supposed to be my Russian accent, but it sounds. Oh like God, it's worse accent. than your Irish one. No, that was Irish. <laughs> Uh, well, hey everybody, welcome back to the Great Walking Dead Podcast, it. where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1970s. Today I get to hang out with five of my friends, recording my very favorite episode of the month, which is our character trials. It's our longest one, it's also our most popular. And today I hope I get to surprise people, because we are doing the character Raven the Hunter, which is not often a character associated with the X-Men but he has more X-Men stuff than people think. Although some of what you think might be Craven is actually his weird, weird children, which we will also talk about today as well. Uh, I'm Chad Anderson, I'm your host. I'm gonna spend a little bit of time introducing the character and then we will introduce the five members of our jury who are five people I love hanging out with and it's gonna be uh, a blast today. From the beginning, the human race endured by learning basic survival skills, hunting and gathering. Human culture developed around shelter, provisions, and the acquisition of resources, respecting the land that we survive on. Hunting only what was sustainable. And then somewhere along the way, we got obsessed with possessing things. We created money and we began expanding, taking over the land, dominating things, dividing up land for because someone must own every piece of it. At some point, people began hunting for sport instead of survival. In the last few generations, as wilderness areas diminished and wild species began to shrink and disappear, humankind became global, using airplanes to zip around the world, and they started wanting to conquer whatever lay in front of them, ascend the mountain, harpoon the white whale, cage the gorilla, shoot the jaguar. Men were bored, and they would pay high prices to kill easily so that they could feel big. And there's something of the fantasy of baby boomer manhood, this ability for man to just rip off his shirt and throw spears at big cats in the wild, betting women and conquering gods, that is a huge element or part of this character. And a little bit like Kesar as well. We'll talk about that. We got to do Kesar a few months ago. And then the book, The Most Dangerous Game, was written in 1924. This is a wildly famous uh, piece of literature. There's a Russian aristocrat who has grown bored with hunting game, and now he hunts men in the wild on his own private island set with traps and pitfalls. Only the savviest of prey might escape. And this story seems to be the biggest inspiration for the character we are here to discuss today. Uh, those men in the 1960s were bored and they wanted to be Kazar, the Lord of the jungle who fights on the side of good. But some part of these men also wanted to be Craven the hunter, the man who hunts men, who doesn't seek consent, who does what he wants and when he wants it. So today we are here for the trial of Sergei Kravenov. But first, let's get to know our jury members. Uh, let me have you each introduce yourselves. Let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from, and then let me know what you love most about Craven the Hunter. Uh, let's begin with my friend, Alicia Wilder. Hi, Alicia. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped to be here. Uh, my name is Alicia. I use she, her pronouns. And you would know me as one half of the Ex-Wife podcast. Um, Huh, Craven. Uh, here's the thing. My favorite thing about Craven is when he fights with Kazar. Like, there is something so magical about the two of them together and just this like beautiful connection of their primal instincts and their need to be the best that make those the most enjoyable stories. So those stories were at the end of my reading and I just I laughed out loud the entire time I was reading them. So 
that's my that's my craven love right there. They are so horny for each other. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, let's go over to my friend Tristan Palmgren next. Hi, Tristan. Hi, Chad. Uh, I am, yes, uh, Tristan Palmgren. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, you may know me from several Marvel prose novels, um, Domino Strays, Outlaw, Relentless, focused on, um, on characters Gail Simone has made famous, and then um, also um, a novel about uh, the young X-Men, The Siege of X-41, and then most recently this August, Squirrel Girl Universe, a uh, comedy space opera featuring everybody's favorite squirrels and everybody's favorite girls. <laughs> what do you love uh, about Craven, Tristan? My favorite thing about Craven is that I love a villain with a code. Uh, Craven does not inhabit the same world that everybody else uh, around him does for good and ill effect. Um, for ill, in that he completely, for the most part, lacks empathy for anyone around um, anyone around him. Uh, but he's all, he's just playing a game by his own rules and he's not letting anybody else write it for him. And he's holding himself to those rules. Um, at least in the, um, the stories I'm most familiar with, he's, he's not a cheater. He's, um, he's his own harshest judge. Fantastic. It's great to see you, my friend. It's been too long. Uh, let me next introduce uh, my personal friend here in Salt Lake City, uh, Mr. Corey Thomas. I'm going to tell a story before Corey starts. Corey is one of my good friends. He's also my massage therapist. And yesterday I got a massage at his house. And as I was changing after the massage, I heard his child through the bedroom door that's closed go, I just saw Chad's butt. <laughs> and I've been laughing about it all day. Corey, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Uh, yeah, he ended up having nightmares about that. Actually. It was a whole thing. <sighs> Something about gaping maws and like falling hey, hey. endless black pits. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, my name's Corey. Uh, <clears throat> I am a he, him, but as a little bit of a callback, you guys might realize a well placed Yas Queen is always welcome. I would like to say that. Um, my favorite thing about Craven is, Tristan kind of hit a little bit of it, his consistency. You, you know what to expect from him, you know exactly what you're going to get, but also he still ends up surprising you or surprising the heroes each time. You'd think he'd be predictable in his consistency, but he's consistently unpredictable. You kind of never know what's going to happen when a when blow dart is going to catch you in the neck. Uh, when some random demon child is going to come out at you with a Bowie knife, something like that, it's it's great. Uh, fantastic. It's great to see you, Matt. And then let's go over to my friend Anya Prosser. Hi, Anya. Hi. Um, just did the thing where I didn't meet, unmute myself. Hi, I'm Anya. Um, my pronouns are she, her. You might know me from a couple of other episodes of Gray Malkin Lane. Um, otherwise, I'm kind of under the radar. I am a doctoral student whose focus is using comics in the classroom um, to address white supremacy and mental health. And I am also uh, working as a fellow for a organization called Brink, where I am putting together curriculum to teach comics in prisons. 
Um, my favorite thing about Craven is nipple lasers. <laughs> yeah, nipple lasers. Listeners, you are going to hear a lot about nipple lasers today. We are all very enthusiastic about Craven's nipple lasers, which we should be, but it's <laughs> be prepared. That and should be I, the next Gray Malkin shirt. <laughs> Ooh, I'll talk to Seth. <laughs> I'm disappointed <laughs> I never got to see them in my reading. <laughs> I, I you know, have a severe nipple laser shortage. Where's my nipple so. lasers? <laughs> and then finally over to my friend Daniel Bird. Hi, Daniel. Hi, how are you today? Um, thank you so much for having me again. My name is Dan. Um, he, him pronouns I use, uh, your listeners might know me from the Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch Avengers origin episode with, uh, Russell Potterman and Steve Orlando. Um, other than that though, uh, this is only my second visit to Great Malkin Lane, which I'm so happy to be back. Um, and, and talking about this wonderful character, uh, Craven, uh, my favorite thing about Craven is that he is not only the quintessential like embodiment of toxic masculinity. He is also a subversion of masculinity in the same way that I would say WWE wrestlers are. Like everything about them screams like, I am a machismo man, but everything about the way they present themselves to the world is so gay. It kills me. It's my favorite thing about him. He's got the ballet flats and the leopard print leggings. I love it. <laughs> the open vest. <laughs> the open vest. Oh my God. The collars. Everything. It's, it's, it's all so great. <laughs> uh, lastly, I am Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I am the host of this show. Now, when I was considering doing this character, I uh, we had some Savage Land content right in a row. We did Kesar, we did Sauron. Uh, Craven kept showing up in their stories. And then there's like the son of Craven attacking Krakoa in the comics. And I was just sitting with like, oh, this would be fun. And I just had to carve out a month for Craven. Uh, he officially came on my show when we did the Sarah Brunstad episode reviewing the X-Men Spider-Man number one issue, uh, where he is fighting the X-Men uh, in their early years. And I thought that's all we need. We could introduce him here. Uh, I knew a lot about this guy. He was the Sinister Six guy. He's the famous J.M. De Mateus, uh, you know, Final Hunt stories that we all love so much. Uh, but I didn't know his whole history. And going through it chronologically was wildly fun, seeing how this guy was reinterpreted over the years. If you go back and listen to the Kazar trial, I talk about how it was getting a whole damn education and the way this character is reinterpreted over and over. And Craven to me is kind of a darker version of Kesar. Kesar is all about preserving life. And Craven is about a quick profit and just smashing whatever's in front of him. But then once in a while, people will give him like a bunch of nobility and like heroism. Uh, he's super obsessive about things and just so fucking hot in every one of his appearances. He's, uh, he's He was really, really fun. So we're going to talk a lot about this character. It's going to border on the very serious all the way down to the very, very ridiculous as we go ahead. And I know that in advance, knowing this particular group of people. <laughs> so let's begin by, uh, we always start the trials with uh, just some discussion points. I kind of write like little mini character theses on these guys, and then we'll stop and talk about it. So Stanley and Jack Kirby were putting out new villains every month. They had a magnet guy. They had a, uh, a goblin guy and a guy based on Loki and a guy in armor and a gargoyle guy and a sand guy and eventually gave us the hunter guy, Craven the Hunter. It's a fascinating name, Craven with a K, because it sounds scary, direct and focused, but the real word Craven with a C means lacking in courage. 
Craven the Hunter, Cowardly Hunter. On the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 15, his first appearance, Spider-Man is trapped in a net. There's a shirtless man with an open vest that has a lion face on it. He has a spiked belt on and cheetah-spotted pants, and he's rushing at Spider-Man. And a text bubble states, so you think there are no new types of supervillains left for old Spidey to battle, eh? Well, you've got a surprise coming. Here's one of the newest and greatest of all, Craven the Hunter. They're trying to get readers to pick up these books if they can with these cover blurbs. Uh, in this issue, the chameleon wants to take down Spider-Man, so he summons his ally Craven the Hunter to aid him. Craven gets off the ship to find a crowd of Americans there to greet him. It seems he's legendary. Someone in the crowd shouts, Craven is a living legend, the greatest hunter of all time. He's trapped and defeated every type of beast that lives and always single-handed. Someone else yells, isn't he handsome? So big, so powerful, so rugged looking. They say he can defeat anything that lives with his bare hands. In his first appearance while battling Spider-Man, Craven yells, I am a hunter. Hunting is my entire life. But there were no more goals for me to strive for until I learned of you. You shall be my greatest triumph. So let's talk about the introduction of Craven the Hunter. What makes this guy stand out from the pack? What do we love and or hate about him? And the real question is, would you kick him out of bed? Discuss. Oh, man. <laughs> he would be so bad in bed. I disagree. Very selfish. I disagree as well. I think I, uh, I feel like it'd be so selfish. And yeah, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta give him. You have to defeat. give him the goal. You, you have defeat. to give him the goal of like, listen, I. You need to make me orgasm like I've never orgasmed before, and that he'll set his mind to it, and he's not gonna stop until that happens. So You're like, I bet you can set him up directly. <laughs> you can, yeah, you it's, can not, it's not casual. <laughs> Okay, so but let's look at his hunting. Let's look at his hunting history. Listen, he's been hunting Spider-Man for like over half his life, right? And this man's over a century old and has not succeeded. Do you think he's going to have any luck finding either the clitoris or the G-spot? No. <laughs> <laughs> and if he finds them, he's not going to know what to do. Uh, Tristan and then Daniel. He's going to make an effort. He uh, th at least thinks of himself <laughs> as someone who can who, who can defeat any challenge with his bare hands. So he he I, he he may or may not be good, but he will at least try. I will give him that. That's what I tell on my dates. <laughs> Sometimes See, my... it's it's the most you can ask for. <laughs> See, my whole thing was the whole novelty of it all because I was telling Chad earlier that when evaluating this particular question, I went on a whole journey um, about whether or not I would kick him out of bed. Because initially I was like, hmm, would I want Craven in my life long term forever? No, not at all. But like one night stand, I started reading those books. The man's got whips, the man's got collars, and he knows how to use them effectively. And I will say I'm on board for that. I'll, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> if I sleep with Craven, he's got to come to my house because I am not going to his extraordinarily obnoxious jungle themed bedroom that has like every animal print and like vine, like fake vines hanging from the ceiling. I, I can't do it. Too... Uh, that would be the only thing I would want. And then to yeah. replace the tigers. <laughs> yeah, I would I play with tigers and do shit with the vines. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think the the vines could play into the uh, the evening in a fun way, and but I do, I really do think like even if you gave him the task or the goal, 
he would be too concerned with like his performance and how he's doing and how he looks doing it. I think to actually be successful. That's my personal opinion. I don't think it would be as good as he thinks it is because he's never as successful as he thinks he's going to be. This is a hundred percent. This is the content <laughs> our listeners are here for. <laughs> also, do we have any proof that his nipple lasers don't go off when he orgasms? Because that sounds terrible. Oh, yeah, that's that could be dangerous. <laughs> we joke, but wait till he sets those lasers to vibrate. <laughs> uh. I need to think about how that works. <laughs> don't think too can, hard about it. All I can think of is like George Takei saying, set phases to stunning. And like, that's all that's <laughs> in my head now. Uh, what do we think about the introduction of this character? He is obsessive and super like masculine machismo right from the start. And he's going after a teenage boy in America because he's bored. And he's like, you, you are the thing that I will hunt now. I will be obsessed over you. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the uh, the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. When Craven first shows up in Ultimate Spider-Man, early 2000s, he's like this big kind of crocodile hunter media celebrity that comes to New York to punch Spider-Man and Spidey takes him out with one punch. <laughs> You're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> It's great. What do we think about the introduction of this character? He is so, so deeply insecure, and he wears that on his sleeve every time he he says that he cannot be beat, he cannot be beaten. Every time that he he is not just content to be himself. Uh, there are many different ways to interpret that, and I'm sure we'll go into into many of them as uh, as this podcast goes on. Yeah, I completely agree with that. With the insecurity, I mean. It, he's continuously just having to prove himself. And then when someone else does something, he has to one up them because he has to hold this place of, you know, the number one spot in order to give himself value. So I think that that's interesting just in terms of how that is relatable to people and, and this like goal that you set for yourself and where you want to be and where you actually are. Um, but I do think, there's something really interesting to me about the way that he hit. It's almost like his version of affirmations, the way that he like tells himself all the time, like I am the best. I am the number one hunter. No one can defeat me. Like that's what that, those are Craven's affirmations. Uh, as far as introductions oh, go, go sorry, as far as introductions go, I think he's the only one, he's the only villain I know that, had that type of hero's reception upon his his arrival. Everyone else's, all the other villains are like, hey, we're doing bad things, we're bad people. But he arrives in Manhattan and he's got a fan club already. People are super stoked to see him. They're like, hey, what's he gonna do? So, so I can imagine uh, <clears throat> if at the time they could have been watching this on the big screen in Times Square, watching him go against Spider-Man, that there would be some people that were cheering for Craven and some people that were cheering for Spider-Man and it would be this real uh, uh, real fun adventure for everyone in New York to have and to watch together. I feel like he's one of those villains that people genuinely love. He's remembered, people like him, they're kind of excited when he shows up, but we're taking time talking about why that is. And I don't think most people have considered like, oh, what is it that I love about this guy? But yeah, there's something about that visual the, the guy with the spear and the open vest leaping off the, the block. The uh, the design of this character with the lion face on his vest, it's, it's, it's a really crazy design as far as supervillains go. But he is super unique and super interesting. The uh, ballet flats. 
That's what does it for me. It's the lion vest with the ballet flats. I love a guy with a bit. I love a villain with like a clear <laughs> bit. Like this is his deal and he's here to do his deal. And that I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> the campiness, I'm here for it. So in today's trial, we are going to be covering a lot of Craven's stuff chronologically. We are not covering all of his appearances. Uh, when we get into the trial points, we will not be talking about some of even my favorite appearances, such as when he shows up in Ryan North's uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, uh, which is super fun every time. But there are areas of the Marvel Universe we won't cover. Uh, Craven has appeared dozens and dozens of times across the Marvel Universe. He's hunted Spider-Man and Beast and Kazar and Zabu and Rocket Raccoon and the Man-Wolf and Tigra. At one time he captured every supervillain he could think of that had an animal name and put them in Central Park and then let white men operate suits of armor in, in, in order to hunt them down. He died, he came back, he faced his legacy, he died again. And over time he came to represent, at least in some ways, just masculinity. Uh, I referenced this in the opening, but picture that guy at the desk who's working all day in debt, a little out of shape, and he's dreaming of that rugged world out there where he can be buff and powerful and kill anything that moves and be desired by women. So not to polarize my audience, but he gives me very, like a very much Donald Trump Jr. energy <laughs> about this guy that makes me just kind of like go, oosh. Uh, so in that way, at least, Craven is, he's Tarzan and he's Conan the Barbarian and Kazar, even Superman in a way. He's the powerful man that, uh, man that all men want to be. It's like a Craven, women want him, men want to be him kind of thing. But Craven also re represents like so many characters in their own ways, the idea of a man caught between two worlds. He's brilliantly given an origin story related to the fall of Russian aristocracy. So his roots take him back to an easier time of wealth and prosperity. But now he's a man who must fight for his own success, rising up from the devastation uh, to a world of conquering, using any tool to kill anything in the way towards self-sustainment. Craven's mother was horribly mentally ill, and he toes the line between madness and sanity by losing himself in the hunt and using potions and poisons to induce madness in himself and others. Lastly, he bridges the world between moral conquest and unprincipled conquest. Those who hunt to survive and those who hunt for profit or to kill, those who respect the land and the animal life, and those who pillage up, uh, use up and, and burn down. Uh, Craven walks both lines depending on the story being told. In Creatures on the Loose, uh, Tony Isabella, who we've had on the show, writes succinctly, Craven sees himself as the last survivor of a better world, a world where a man possessed what he could take for as long as he could prevent others from taking it away from him. He is a hunter. He has hunted for the challenge, for the thrill, and once or twice for money, but mostly he hunts for survival against threats that exist only for him. And then I'm gonna open with uh, Craven's Last Hunt briefly, which is one of Marvel's most famous stories of all time. Uh, J.M. DeMatteis is the writer here. It's easily his most famous story, I would say. We've had J.M. on the show, he's a wonderful guy. And we talked about this story with him a little bit. Uh, when we open that book, Craven is naked and he's pouncing on a bunch of taxidermied animals. <laughs> and he's thinking- Don't forget oiled up, he's oiled up too. Oh, I was, yes, very oiled, always oiled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he, his, his self-narration is this. I am craven, the beast. My mind is rage and glory. My heart is fire and pride. My body is grace and power. I am Cravenov, the man, an old man now, though few would believe it, just a child when my parents came to this country shortly after the overthrow of the Tsar some 70-odd years ago. 
There was no more room in Russia for aristocrats, for culture, for honor, for human dignity. But all those things were bred in my bones long before the Trotskys and Lenins dragged my homeland into the pit. Dignity, honor, where are such qualities today? All the world, it seems, has followed Russia's sad example. Were my parents alive today, they would look upon this frightened, wounded animal called civilization without recognition and with great fear and great disgust. I am Craven, the hunter. I have found dignity not in the cities, but in the jungles. I have found honor not in the civilized, but in the primal. I have found morality. I have found meaning in the hunt, but I cannot abide time forever. Herbs and roots and potions cannot rejuvenate a dying spirit or heal a heart crushed by the weight of a corrupted age. I will die soon. I must die soon, but not yet. And God, J.M. Mateus writes an amazing villain. Uh, so let's talk about this idea of what Craven represents, uh, the different sides that he kind of carries with him, and maybe what some of his motivations and purposes are. What are your thoughts? He thinks so much of himself. <laughs> like, he thinks so much of himself, and it's so toxic. Um, but he, it's fascinating to watch. He makes a very compelling um, character to read about because it's it's just the thoughts that he has are so like deeply ingrained and it's fun to kind of psychoanalyze like why that is. And there's a lot of trauma there. Not that it excuses anything he does, but he, uh, it's just, he's a very, he's a more, for, for a villain with a bit, he's a very more, or, or a much more um, in-depth like character analysis than you would expect. Um, <clears throat> I might be giving myself away a little bit here, but I, I'm really into the, the masculinity and the honor and the things, things should be, uh, <clears throat> things should be more structured and rigid and, and uh, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> the more I think about it, the more I feel called out, uh, by those, by Chad's <laughs> comment, of the, the guy sitting behind the computer thinking, yeah, I want to be this guy. He seems cool. <laughs> but uh, I guess it is what it is. <laughs> um, uh, like Sergey mentioned, he's uh, uh, he's got um, a lot of trauma wrapped up in his past, and this is part of the um, the fictional world that he inhabits that didn't really exist. And that when he was very young, his parents were um, uh, were kicked out of uh, Russia or probably fled Russia to save their lives um, during the Russian Revolution. And uh, he saw the, that aristocracy or their position there as something that they had earned, that it was a triumph that they had, that they had gotten, which if you know much about Russian aristocracy uh, coming up to the Ru uh, Russian Revolution, probably does not reflect the truth. But it's the world he's he's been set up to believe in from a very young age. It's as something that no longer exists anymore, as something civilization has fallen from. Alicia, on your thoughts? I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, to think about this idea that this like fall from grace, essentially, and and this need that he has to always find a new challenge to prove that he's the best. It's like an interesting balance of the fact that he's never, there's never enough. Like he's never going to reach really the height of where he wants to be because he'll just find another reason to say, oh, well, that wasn't good enough. Like that battle, I won that battle 
but that wasn't enough. Um, and I also think it's interesting how he changes things in his mind because he'll often come back to Spider-Man and sometimes he'll acknowledge the fact that Spider-Man beat him, but in other times he'll be like, I defeated you. And you're like, Craven, you didn't though, but he'll change it in his mind. And, and he has his own narrative, which I think is really interesting in that he just keeps telling himself these things and he really believes them. He really, truly believes that he is the best of the best or that he won that last battle or he deserves to be in that place of power, even if he didn't actually do what he should to get there. I have a strange obsession with Russian history and some one of the things I fixate on. And so, I mean, I didn't know much of anything about Craven going into this, but uh, learning that he comes from Russian aristocracy completely changed my viewpoint of him. And just if any of you watched The Great, which is an amazing um, show on Hulu. Yeah, there's a few people who are into it with um, Nicholas Holt of Peace fame. Like, I'm just imagining Craven's family and background as being these completely, like, useless people who are so catered to that they, you know, he's never had any challenges in his life. And all of a sudden he's, like, sent out into the, the world and is meant to fend for himself. Um, I think he does a remarkable job. The therapist in me is going to take it to this place. And I know it's annoying. I'm sorry. I'm constantly working with clients on when we are going through crazy childhood trauma, we have to like develop some sort of coping mechanism in order to survive. Sometimes we take care of other people. Sometimes we go numb. Sometimes we become bullies. And then at a certain point, we become adults. And often what happens is the shit we use to cope as kids are now the character flaws we have as adults. And so when you see people trying to give supervillains major motivations and we tie it to his mother was mad and they lost all their wealth, this guy's coping mechanism is like, fuck yeah, I'm the best. And clearly there's heightened levels of narcissism and obsession uh, and he can't accept any other reality except one in which he is the absolute best. Uh, which gives me a little bit of uh, Lux Noir London energy for those of you that are watching Drag Race this season. <laughs> she's, she's constantly talking about how amazing she is and nothing can ever take her down. And there's an energy about that uh, for Craven that I th that I find really fascinating. Craven uh, would never wear a bad wig, though. <laughs> Uh, the idea of people adding in old story, we're going to talk about his retroactive origin story and the way it all gets put together over the years in just a moment. But uh, the fact that he's decades old, uh, when we first meet him, we assume he's like in his 40s or something, but it turns out he's like Captain America's age. You know, it's a, it's a crazy thing to have tied to this character uh, as well. Uh, so Craven is obsessed with a lot of things. Like, here's a short list. He's obsessed with never stopping or slowing down. He's obsessed with a clear, focused mission that would be impossible for any other man. Uh, he's obsessed with a powerful beast to kill and revenge and profit. He's obsessed with having a powerful legacy. He wants the perfect child to pass his genes down onto. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Uh, Craven is also obsessed with Spider-Man. Another Jam DeMatteis quote, for years, the spider has thwarted me, mocked me, humiliated me. In the beginning, I was naive. I thought he was a man, but he couldn't possibly be a man. No man could do to Craven what the spider has. No man, so black, so inhuman, so beautiful. You exist to test me, don't you? 
You taunt and challenge me, and I cannot rest until I have proven myself, until I have destroyed you, I cannot rest. Uh, that alone is so much about him, it's amazing. But let's talk about Craven's family. Sergei Kravenov was a, a member of Russian royalty or aristocracy, basically until his family fell with the regime. And there's a whole bunch of Russian history. I would be thrilled if, Anya, if you want to tell us more about that time, I would love to hear it. His father was an alcoholic. His mother went mad and was eventually institutionalized and took her own life. His childhood ally was his cousin, Dmitry Smerdzikov, who uh, would go on to become the, the shape-changing chameleon, uh, a man that Sergei abused but also relied upon. In a recent story, which just came out, like I had to go back and edit the trial notes because it's so recent. There's a story called Spider-Man The Lost Hunt where Jam De Mateus gives us a much deeper look into Craven's life during this time. After leaving Russia, he moved to New York City and befriended a woman named Aja Orisha, who was a mystical woman exiled from Wakanda. And she had a young son she named Takar, who saw Sergei as a father figure. And Aja had undergone a mystical rite in Wakanda where she was buried in the ground for two weeks and faced kind of her own mortality and demons. And she came out with different kinds of powers and awareness of the world. And in time, Aja gives Sergei a potion that would initiate the same ritual. So she buries him alive. It helps him confront his inner demons. But instead, for him, it ended up driving him mad. Craven left her and he took her son, uh, Takar, with her. And uh, Takar considered himself kind of Craven's child. He renamed himself as Gregor Cravenoff. So people may know the, the, the character Gregor, but this is literally the first time we've ever seen his origins. And it just came out like last month as we're talking about this. Sergei then went on to marry the intense and manipulative Sasha. And he fathered the child Vladimir, who would go on to become the Grim Hunter. He then had an affair with an unnamed mutant woman and fathered an illegitimate child named Alyosha. And Al Craven is a mutant who has the power to talk to animals. And he would go on to become Craven the Hunter after his father's death. Then he fathered one more child, Anastasia, or Anna, with Sasha. Anna will also call herself Craven the Hunter in the future. And she is an inhuman through her mother's line. Although uh, she's undergone teragenesis, we don't know what her powers are. Disappointed with all of his heirs, Craven, in his most recent and final appearance, had the High Evolutionary clone him 87 times so that he could raise a perfect heir. He made these 87 clones of himself battle it out until only one survived. And that surviving clone, who also calls himself Craven the Hunter, is sometimes called the last son of Craven. And this is the guy who just hunted Beast and Wolverine on Krakoa recently. Craven uh, also trained Gregor, his the, the kid he took away from, from Aja Orisha, who would go on to also call himself Craven the Hunter as well. So there's like five or six Cravens running around, depending on what time you're in. Uh, he, uh, he went on to create, uh, learn how to create shelters, set traps, use weapons to survive. He learned how to identify the weak points in animals. He learned effective strategies on how to kill and subdue. He trained his body to the point of peak perfection and became an expert in using spears, guns, knives, blow darts, and many other weapons. He also learned about poisons. He learned how to, uh, how to make his prey paralyzed or hallucinatory or sedated. And in time, he learned about jungle potions, concoctions that would boost his already powerful strength, agility, and endurance to slightly superhuman levels. On top of that, he's been alive for decades. 
After Craven died the first time, he was brought back through mystic means that made him immortal unless Spider-Man himself could kill him. We'll talk more about that. And, and then also he has his infamous nipple lasers. They can fire stun blasts or hallucinatory stuff or sedation stuff out of the lion eyes that are on his vest that are placed, placed over his nipples. And he's using them so much until they stopped using them at all, which I'm very sad about. Uh, Craven has been romantically connected to Calypso, who is a mystic practitioner of voodoo, uh, who he is abusive to at times. He was also romantically connected to Namora, the sister or the clone or the cousin, depending on the story, of Namor. In a weird story where Craven joins Nick Fury's Avengers alongside Sabretooth in the 1950s, that's a whole thing we won't get to today. Uh, and of course, he's also been uh, connected to his wife, Sasha, who he ended up murdering. So he has lots of issues. <laughs> so let's talk about Craven, his powers, his history. Uh, let me hear your thoughts. <laughs> Okay, first, one of the very first things you said in this section about always like always being busy, never stopping, relatable. That's the one thing I can relate most to uh, with Craven. Like, just got to keep going, right? So I just love that. Um, but second, I think it's really cool that he he not only like decided he was going to do this thing, be the the most amazing hunter, but he did a lot of research. He learned a lot of things. And I think that's really important. You know, if you're going to have a specialty, you need to make sure you do your research. And I think that, you know, he really did that. He really learned all the possible skills he could he could learn. He questionably took some of those things and I feel like had a little bit more ownership over like these potions and things than he maybe should have, you know, like. There's a little cultural appropriation going on in, the, in there, I think. But um, but he he educated himself. So you can't say that he doesn't know his stuff. Whether or not his stuff is great for the world is a different question. But he really he really owns it. And I think that's that's important. He does take himself extremely seriously, uh, mostly <laughs> for the ill, but sometimes but uh, sometimes um uh, if not for the good, then at least for for his own development, he does put a lot of work into what into um, into what he does. I have to agree with Alicia that and and Tristan that he does put so much work into what he does. Like I, you have to admire the tenacity, um, the the excessive just extremes that he has gone to to make sure that anything that he does or anything that is a result of his actions are the best that they could be. I mean, the man created his own little version of the hunger games over here. It's pretty excessive, uh, excessive effort. <laughs> the idea of him as, uh, being so obsessed with Spider-Man, because of course he's a Spidey villain and they bring him back every few years and he gets his ass kicked again and then he does it again and then he does it again. And at a certain point, other writers caught on like, oh, this guy's fun. Let's put him in my Tiger story. Let's put him in my Kazar story. Let's put him in my Wolverine and Beast story. Uh, he's all over the place at that point, but he always comes back to Spider-Man. It's always right there. Why is he so horny for this character? <laughs> Or it's a really good question. 
Uh, you touched on it earlier with your uh, your quote about um, about how the spider has plagued his life and that the spider can't possibly be a man. That's something that uh, that the um, the famous last hunt storyline delves really deep into, and I I can't wait to talk about that. And but he does not see. Uh, he does not see Spider-Man. He sees the spider or a force of, uh, of much, much more greater and personal significance in his life. There's an, uh, there's a Captain Ahab Moby Dick obsession here, right? It's like the one thing he couldn't defeat and he's got to go after it with all intents. Uh, has anyone read the story I referenced earlier, The Most Dangerous Game? Is anybody familiar with that story where there's the hunter on the island? It's written in the 1920s. Uh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't read that. that. Sorry. Yeah. I no, no. Go ahead. I think we're just saying the same thing. I haven't read it, but I have seen the pest. If you guys ever watched that movie from the 90s with John Leguizamo called The Pest, it's sort of a spoof of the most dangerous game where he, he gets kidnapped and hunted and uh, takes a little comedic, like, takes a much more comedic turn, but. He's on an island and he's being hunted and it's it's a deep cut. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. It's hilarious. If you want to understand Craven, go to this book. I really feel like it was the genuine inspiration for him. Although, of course, I didn't get to ask Stanley that myself. Uh, Anya, what is it about the Russian connections for this character, the aristocracy connections that make it kind of special for you? Um, so what I understand of Russian history, like in such a sprawling landmass, um, the aristocracy, the people who were in charge had so much, I mean, it, it, it takes what we know of like pre-revolutionary France and is so much worse, whereas just beyond decadent, it's beyond, it's just like so indulgent. Um, and so once the people were overthrown because everyone else in Russia was suffering, they could barely survive and um it's you know anything that you think of in terms of hyperbolic uh hyperbolic ideas of old school fiefdoms and so forth that's exactly it um and so once these people the people who were in charge the romanovs and the the other families um <laughs> once they were overthrown, they had nothing, right? Like they had absolutely no idea how to cope. So having gone from having somebody who does absolutely everything to them to having absolutely nothing. And that, that's just, I, I imagine Craven just thinking that he knows everything, that he is so strong, so capable when he is completely inept. So Craven dies. He's wildly popular, but he's dead. And bringing him back would cheapen his death. And so writers in the 90s introduced Vladimir, his son. And then that character wasn't really working. And so they brought in another one. And that's where Al Craven comes from. And then we pitched the story a few years later where we want him to uh, come back from the dead. And they also bring in his daughter, Anna. Uh, so the, the retroactive continuity of this character, having three grown children, uh, and these characters are kind of forgettable. I would love to do a Patreon on Al on Alyosha Kravinov one day. He's a he's he's a queer coded character, much like the others. Uh, but Vladimir's ugh, and uh, and Anna is great, but uh, it's it's a weird. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this wild origin story and his crazy family? <laughs> well, I uh, I'm not. 
I understood his origin story as uh, once once his family was like kicked out of Russia, they fled Russia, and his mother his mother killed killed herself. He took it upon himself to go out into the jungle and make his own name and learn his own skills and be able to provide for himself and become the the really cocky bastard that he is uh, that he is today. And then up until of course up until Spider Man. Uh, objectively he had every right to be because this this is a man that's hunted all the beasts this is a guy that's spearing megalodons in the savage land and that's that's not everyday shit like it's so you know aside from the spider like he really has he's come a long ways and earned a lot of his cockiness uh Corey, you got to read a lot of the sasha section uh this is not a good woman i mean he did murder her which we'll talk about and it's not a good thing but she's a very unlikable character. <laughs> yeah, she's she sucks. Just yeah, I guess I have a few things to say about her. But I I love I'm a big fan of Anna. Uh, what little bit I got to read of her, and then she has her own story. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but she's it's just her and herself, and she's hunting she's hunting Spider Man as well, and she's uh, I can't remember the name of the story, but that made me like her even more because she becomes this great huntress sort of in her own right and draws the spider down into the sewers and uh they had you know they have their own little fun story together and like uh, craven she has she has her own standards and her own rules and her father fails them or, or fails them for her i love the design for her she has a crazy cool design it's a it's a fun take on craven uh and and i anya i believe it was you who read the calypso section what are your thoughts on Calypso as a partner for uh, for Craven? Or was that Daniel? Pardon me. That was, that me, was yeah. me. Calypso is also a wildly problematic character. <laughs> oh my god, there's so many issues with her, like from the blatant racism and just the insane um, murderous intent by any means. Uh, it's just so wrong in every way. Uh, although. I can't see a character like that and not think of the equally questionable uh, Calypso from the pirate series. So I'm like sitting here reading this, this section of book and I'm just like, Craven, you just, you just have to, you just have to say it like you're speaking to a lover, like Calypso, I release you from your human thoughts. Uh, it's like, it, 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 it was a mess, <laughs> but she was uh, fun. She's a woman of color at a time when there were not a lot of women of color villains, but they literally make her a nearly naked, like voodoo priestess who beats a drum and her man smacks her around and she just wants his attention. Uh, she's she's a problematic character. The portrayal of her is often Big very, time. very unflattering. Oh my God, it's such a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it it's a bad problem. <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's one story we'll get to where, uh, Craven literally lets himself be defeated because Calypso has sullied his honor. Like she helped fight Spider-Man. So now I can't win. The woman helped me and I have to, I can't need the help from a woman. Like he's, he's got some weird misogyny stories in the seventies that are, that are really uncomfortable in, in specific ways. Uh, we'll talk more about his family during the trial, but any other thoughts on uh, Craven's obsessions and, or his wild history before we uh, move into the trial portion? I can't wait to see Sony give this their best try. <laughs> it, it could go either way. I'm, 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 I'm excited to see which way it goes. Who would you cast? 
I was just gonna say he's a great villain, and we want our villains to be villains. Uh, but he's he's a really he's a really fun character. Uh, Tristan, we'll spend we'll spend just a second here. But do you want to talk about Craven and the unbeatable Squirrel Girl and what makes him special there? He's a, there's a very different portrayal of him. He's all over the Marvel universe, like murdering things with spears. But Squirrel Girl's like, I love you. Let's be friends. <laughs> yes, yeah, they they they, they worked out as a superheroic duo for a while. Um, I think there's a, there's a string of um, well, it's very complicated to recount the number of issues in the Squirrel Girl comics because there were two different Squirrel Girl comics. Um, one of, uh, there was, uh, I believe, like a 12 issue series. I think the first, then, the first volume was eight, then there was Secret Wars, and then it got relaunched. Yeah. yeah. Within the same year. So there's two Squirrel Girl uh, number one comics uh, within the same year. Uh, and so I've just given up counting them, but I think this happens in the uh, the 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 first run and then run, uh, lasts up, up until the uh, the mid to late twenties or thirties in the uh, in the second run. So there's a good amount of time in which uh, Squirrel Girl is is it has an astonishingly close relationship with him. Um, and she is doing what she does and working to redeem him kind of like she's she's redeemed a lot of the other uh, ridiculous supervillains that she hangs out with. But ultimately, it does not seem to take um, because during uh, after he's put on uh, put on trial for his crimes and Squirrel Girl and She-Hulk do everything they can to defend him. Uh, he is um, he is forced to run away from that, and he tells Squirrel Girl something along the lines of, "You are going to hear some terrible things about me from here on out, um, but they're not. Don't believe all of them. Um, there's still there's still going to be a craven, you know, out there, which is kind of." Kind of acknowledging that he, he his character is going to uh, to other series and to different writers now, and he's going to become a villain again, um, while still trying to preserve his uh, his his kind of turn in the in the Squirrel Girl comics. He seems to have kind of a relationship with her where he wants to show his best side, like because she believed in him, he wants to be the version that she sees, and he's like very fatherly and very kind. Uh, Squirrel Girl is all about redemption and puns and like teaching things. And it's it's literally my favorite book in the last 10 years. I love it so much. Uh, there's there's a, a few issues where Craven is driving around the Cray van and it's a big van. And on the side of it is a giant mural of shirtless Craven with like a bikini lady laying next to him. And they're like in a jungle scene with a cat laying at their feet and he's driving it around town. Like it's, it's wildly fun. It's a really great time. Uh, we're not putting him on trial for this section. Yeah. And this is my, this is my next and my, and my final question before we jump into the trial, but who wants nipple lasers and why? <laughs> why not? Why child. If I had them, they need to be multi-purpose, sort of like Dan was saying. You know, maybe they shoot lasers, maybe they vibrate, uh, maybe they maybe they whisper like affirmations to me if I'm feeling down. Like they just become kind of their own little entity. Uh, but who would turn down nipple lasers? I mean, I guess once you get older, they turn down a bit. But... <laughs> <laughs> I am so about. I'm so here for nipple lasers. I'm just here for like the protection of it all. I am, 
I am, I do not vibe with guns. I'm all about stricter control personally. Um, but I will say having a taser on my person at all times would be useful in situations that could be dangerous. So I'm, I'm here for the nipple lasers, uh, and the, the, the versatility of them. I'm deeply curious. Very about this fun story. sex toy. I'm sorry, Tristan, go ahead. Uh, I'm deeply curious about the, uh, the times when they, uh, apparently became hallucinogenic. I want to, I, I want to read those stories. Uh, one last thing I wanted to say about Craven is that it cannot be overstated how much this character is constantly on drugs. Um, they never, I, to the best of my knowledge, they never call it drugs on panel. It's always potions and herbal mixes. Jungle um, potions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he he is constantly taking them to open his mind and be transported to, to other other uh, other identities. Uh, for those that are familiar with our trials, each member of our jury has been asked to review a specific section of Craven's history. I wrote up all the notes, uh, said, well, here's which issues to read. And then they've been asked to come up with both the prosecution and a defense as if we were in a mock court trial. At the end of each section, each jury member, including myself, will vote using a scale from one to five, one meaning justifiable action, two morally concerning, three definitely inappropriate, four over the line into criminal behavior, and five pure evil. We will then take a final score at the end. Uh, which is what we do at all of our trials, and it's really fun. I want to be clear again, we are not covering Craven's history comprehensively. I chose uh, several appearances of his in different sections of his history, working through chronologically. I tried to get all of the X-Men stuff included, but there's several stories that were in titles that just didn't uh, apply, where they were a little redundant, and there's just too much to cover when a character appears this many times. I'm uh, glad we got to we got to mention the Squirrel Girl comics, though. Yeah, we needed to take a moment. I really love them. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to jump in with uh, trial point one. This is uh, a section called The Arrogant Hunter, and the jury member assigned here is my friend Alicia Wilder. Craven the Hunter came to New York City, determined to hunt down the amazing Spider-Man. He brought a few gorillas in cages and beat them up for the public when they escaped as people cheered. After studying his foe, Craven battled Spider-Man, poisoning him to make him disoriented. Then he laid a series of traps for the hero, but Spider-Man defeated him. Craven was deported, and he planned to hone his skills and return. He soon did, and he teamed up with other criminals in the Sinister Six, and they all took turns fighting Spider-Man. Uh, this is the villain group of Vulture, Dr. Octopus, Sandman, Electro, and Chameleon. Craven in this attacked Spider-Man with two cheetahs, but Spidey swiftly escaped and the villains uh, were defeated. In his room full of taxidermy animals that he hunted down and had stuffed, Craven felt ready to go after Spider-Man. After, after wrestling with a lion for fun, he took some captive animals from the zoo in New York City, and then he dressed as Spider-Man and attacked J. Jonah Jameson so that Spidey would come after Craven. Craven then set traps for Spider-Man and fought him directly, spraying him with his, quote, jungle scent, but Spider-Man soundly defeated him this time, humiliated him, and left him hanging uh, up in a web for the police. Craven was then a retroactive continuity hired by Mr. Sinister to get genetic samples of the X-Men. He put out a public statement that Spider-Man was a mutant in order to draw the X-Men to him, and then he fought the mutants and Spider-Man along with Blob. Uh, he stole five genetic samples from the original X-Men and returned them to Mr. Sinister, who used them to make the clone of Craven and the X-Men called Xraven the Hunter. But that's a story for another time. During the months away, Craven the Hunter developed nipple lasers, 
or a double-barreled ray which can magnetize muscular electrolytes, and from which he and which fired from the eyes uh, on his lion vest. He was hired by the Green Goblin through Norman Osborn, who promised him twenty thousand dollars if Craven defeated Spider-Man. But Craven failed, and the Goblin refused to pay. So Craven promised revenge on both of them, trying to get back or trying to get to Norman Osborn, who had a connection to the Goblin, but secretly was the Goblin. Craven attacked a, a teenage party to kidnap Harry Osborn, but Spider-Man intervened. Craven temporarily defeated him, chose to let Osborn go, and then rushed off <laughs> to chart a different future himself for himself. When Craven heard the new vulture, Blackie Drago was considered New York City's most dangerous criminal. He was furious. After beating up his tiger, Raja, who he kept caged for when he needed to beat something up, Craven went after the vulture, and they battled until Spider-Man broke it up and defeated them both, leaving, the, leaving them webbed up again. And then, if it wasn't wild enough, things start getting crazy for Craven. After reading about Kesar and Zabu in the Savage Land, Craven immediately went to hunt Zabu. He hired men and a helicopter, captured the tiger, and took Zabu back to New York. And then Kesar showed up at Craven's hotel, and the two had the ultimate whose dick is bigger fight until Craven's hand was injured and then he ran away. Craven then went to the Savage Land and met the giant alien Gog of the Tsiln race, and he formed a bond, a bond with the animal and uh, planned to use it uh, for world domination. When civilians from New York arrived in the Savage Land, Craven had Gog capture the teenage bikini-clad Gwen Stacy, wanting to make her his queen, and he soon ended up fighting Spider-Man, Zabu, and Kazar, who Craven tried to kill as he was obsessed with proving he was the bigger man. In the end, Kesar kicked Craven over a cliff. Craven broke his arm, found Gog seemingly dead, and again vowed revenge on Spider-Man. After researching the X-Men for months, again, retroactive continuity, Craven infiltrated their mansion and captured their helpless ally, the Winged Avia, and threatened to kill her unless Beast of the X-Men agreed to be hunted. Uh, Craven poisoned Beast in a series of traps, but ended up releasing a savage version of Beast who defeated Craven, uh, and then Jean Grey erased his memory of the X-Men. Okay, so all of these, the key issues here are Amazing Spider-Man number 15, 34, 47, and 49, and 103 and 104, as well as annual number one. We've also got X-Men Spider-Man number one here, and X-Men The Hidden Years, 15 and 16. Finally, Astonishing Tales 1 and 2. And these are just the stories I included. <laughs> Let me turn it over to Alicia Wilder. Okay, let's just start with the defense because I'll be honest, it isn't going to mean anything when we get to the prosecution. So <laughs> let's just get it out there. Um, when Craven first arrives in New York, he does save everyone from a bunch of vicious animals. Um, whether or not his motives were pure in that, we don't have to talk about it where this is his defense. He saved everyone from a bunch of animals. Okay. Um, we could also argue that when he made his terms to hunt beast, he did say that he would offer an antidote to everyone involved should beast play along in his game. And he did follow through on that bargain. So that's a nod in his favor. Um, and he has sex appeal. So that's also, there you go. That's his defense. Sex appeal, <laughs> saving people from animals, and staying true to his word. 
Um, now, flipping gears, as we just heard, there's really not much positive to be said about Craven in, in these moments. Um, here's a list for you. Assault, attempted murder, identity and DNA theft, kidnapping, torture, backdoor dealings, poisoning, breaking and entering, hunting the last of the species, which is definitely a crime against endangered animals, animal cruelty, the invention and creation of deadly weapons, aka nipple lasers. Uh, these just touch on the terrible things that Craven has done. And we can't give him a pass. There's nothing morally good about this man. This man is bad. He has touches of evil. Of course, he's arrogant and selfish, and he has to be the one with the glory. He'll do anything in his power to keep it that way, time and time again. So I feel like the facts are pretty clear in this one. Um, you know, we could get into the terrible things he says to people, the manipulation of, of um, you know, people's psyches when he gets inside their heads and he's trying to, to bring them down. Uh, we could talk about how he's using an alien race for his world domination, uh, but we don't need to because there's plenty other bad things that he's done here. So I think you all can see um, he's a bad, bad, bad man. He might be sexy, but he's a bad, bad man. <laughs> uh, Alicia, if you look at the section that you read, what was the most heinous thing he did if you chose one? Oh, gosh. For me, although it seems almost small yield, that issue where he keeps the tiger in the cage just so he can yes. speed it up once in a while. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yes, that. I mean, I think it's it, I I personally actually think it's it's going for Zabu. You know, he's like he claims to have these like appreciation for, you know, animals and he wants to be this glorious hunter. But he doesn't actually have any appreciation for the fact that Zabu is the last of his kind. And so he wants he wants him for himself, but he's the last of his kind. Let him be free. If you really cared about animals, you wouldn't just go to the Savage Land just to steal this animal, take him away from his one true friend. It's horrific. There's an element of this character that clearly he sees animals as something to be fought and conquered. And that's the only yes. It's like someone who looks at cows and chickens and they're only there to be eaten and that's it. <laughs> and the other thing is like whoever whoever is his like next victim or his the the, the subject of his net, next hunt, generally it's Spider-Man, but also when it's Beast, he he no longer sees them as a person. Like they, they are, they've lost their humanity. It's only about them being prey and how he can manipulate them. And I also think, you know, he uses a lot of, a lot of sneaky tactics. You know, he says he's this big, strong hunter, but he poisons people. He disorients people. He, he injects you with a venom all to make you weaker so that he can hunt you. And he's got, he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And I don't like it. Uh, one more question for you before we turn to yes. you are, I know, a more of a modern X-Men reader. What was it like for you to go visit this character in these old 60s stories? Oh, OK. Well, the 60s stories, they really I I find them to be uh, quite comical. And I really just love the the damsels in distress all around and also particularly in Spider-Man, the, the females arguing over every 
every male's attention. Those are real fun uh, moments to read. But for me, like I said, the best part was the uh, Kazar Craven stories because of just their like, I don't know, this like raw energy between the two of them. There's always like hair blowing and rolling on top of each other. And yeah, those are my favorite moments. But the 60s comics, I have mixed feelings. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, this is fun. And then other times I'm like, what is, What are you saying? Are you saying anything? Or are you just using a bunch of like fun exclamations and not really getting anywhere with the plot? <laughs> there, uh, Craven captures Zabu, takes him back to his hotel, and then Kazar has to come after them. And there's an image of like, the workers at the front desk or at the hotel and like shirtless Kazar <laughs> walks in and he's like, whoa. And you're like, holy fuck, what's happening here? They're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm here for Craven. And they're like, oh dear. <laughs> and they're like, my basement's flooded. He's right upstairs. And like, it's uh, it's really funny. The, the Astonishing Tales 1 and 2 are really funny. Uh, yeah, those this, I think were my favorite. Let me turn this over to the jury. What comments and or questions do you have on this section of Craven's history, particularly things that you need to ask or observe based on uh, helping you get your vote down? How dare you use nipple lasers against him? <laughs> How dare you? Well, you know, you're right. Okay. I I'll give it to you. We'll we'll put nipple laser that we'll put nipple lasers in the defense, but it's also gonna be in the prosecution. <laughs> um, like I, Joe, go ahead, Dan. Oh no, I was just gonna say he's like Joe Exotic if he was straight. Um <laughs> but the uh I do have a question. Um, I'm really hung up on Raja. Did she get out okay? No. Uh, no, she, he like tossed her back in the cage and then we never see her again. He probably had he's a like, later. Yeah, he's like, come out know. here, Raja. And then he like beats her and then he's like, get back in your cage. And she just kind of like. Where's Jasmine? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> Don't know, man. Don't know. Trash can. Oh my God. Fives, fives. No, wait, I'm, I'm no, no, not time yet. Uh, um, I want to confirm something. Like, I want to make sure. Uh, was there any murder involved, or was this just like machismo, man versus animal type type stuff? This this go around. This is an era of comics history where they weren't really allowed to show murder. However, we do have some retroactive continuity that gives him a little bit more savage edge, particularly that X Men Spider Man story. He's fighting the X Men. He's like slashing them with a blade and collecting their blood. Uh, in the yeah. coffee of Gogo, of course, which is crazy. Uh, so there's there's some elements of savagery, uh, but this is an era where he's not really successful in most of his capers because that's what happened to supervillains at the time. Yeah, and I would say okay. that he he doesn't actually succeed really ever. Um, so it's hard to say that there's actual murder, and they don't like come straight out and say I'm going to murder you. But he's like, it's pretty clear that's what he wants. You know, if he could hang Spider-Man or make like a Spider-Man throw rug, I think he would do it. <laughs> like hang him on his wall, you know? Uh, and he's other also going for... Oh, Tristan, I'm sorry, go ahead. He's also going for world domination in one of those stories. That yes. does not seem very, uh, very like the Craven would come to know later. That, um, of course, that would involve a, lot, a, 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 a quite a lot of death, um, but I'm... Curious how he ex how he expressed his goals in that issue. Yeah, I mean, he'd been hanging out with Dr. Octopus for a while. <laughs> hanging out with a bad crowd. 
Yes. Uh, I, think oh. it's mostly, I think it's mostly kind of a passing mention. It's not a big part of the story. It's yeah. just like ranting and monologuing. Uh, and not to not to get ahead of things, but to, since Alicia made the comment, he actually does end up with Spider-Man hanging on his wall That's true. Uh, during his undead time. So yeah, basically See? crucified. I knew it. <laughs> I knew that's where his heart was. To make the beating up on a caged animal incident even worse, uh, I can say from my reading that this is a theme that repeats. It's not the first time he does this. Yep, the 70s are the craziest, though. We'll get there next. <laughs> uh, well, let's go ahead and vote on this section. We're voting one through five. Uh, let's go Tristan first. I've got to go with five. Um, if there's very little... <laughs> Very, very. I can't see any exculpatory circumstances for any of these. Corey, let me unmute myself. I'm gonna have to go with a four because while he's while he's not as successful, uh, we you know we determined that's just kind of the way of the '60s books. But if we're going by intent and what he would do if uh, the comics authority wasn't weren't such prudes, <laughs> uh, it could have been a lot worse. So I'm gonna go with four. Anya. I moved out of Zoom rather than unmuting myself. <laughs> um, I am going with a three. It would be a four, but nipple lasers. And his pursuit of beast is one of those would you kill Hitler as a baby moments. <laughs> Daniel? Fair. <laughs> uh no five justice for raja uh i'm gonna go we're gonna start with a five but i'm gonna drop a point for nipple lasers and drop another point because he's really hot and every story is so fun to read so it's a three for me in this section and then finally i cursed myself with the sex appeal in the defense <laughs> um <laughs> i'm gonna go five because he's just a bad bad man uh, uh chad brought up uh donald trump jr and his uh, his attempt to be to look like a, a big manly big game hunter on twitter and that that kind of poisoned me against uh against thinking him of him as sexy ever <laughs> that's fair <laughs> so is that is, is that allowed is that jury bias uh you're allowed bias on this jury it's okay uh, that gives us a score of 25 out of 30 in that section. We're It's going to get worse. <laughs> section two is what we call Craven the Desperate. Uh, the assigned jury member in this space is uh, Daniel Byrne. Uh, Craven made it back to New York, and he recruited the Gibbon, giving him potions to release his bestial strength. And Gibbon's a monkey guy. That's kind of all you need to know. Gibbon then attacked Craven, who used the potion connection to take telepathic control of the Gibbon and then sent him off against Spider-Man, but Gibbon was able to break free. In San Francisco, Craven was offered $100,000 by Kerwin Broderick, an obscure Daredevil villain, to hunt down Daredevil. Craven captured the Black Widow and he tied her to the ground and surrounded her with elephants that threatened to trample her if she tried to escape because he had an elephant whistle. And then he battled Daredevil and threw him off a cliff, but Craven was apprehended by the police after the Black Widow knocked him out. He then built a complex and a, and a dangerous base in Chicago, and he hired a group of men, uh, killing any who disappointed him and leaving their bodies on display. So here's, we have our first like stated murder. 
He kidnapped Dr. David Malro, wanting the, the doctor to do an operation on Craven, which would increase his psychomotor response time. And then he briefly fought Tigra while uh, these men opened fire on the police. And there were stray bullets that left one girl an orphan with a bullet lodged in her spine. Tigra proved to be stronger than Craven, and she soundly defeated him. And then the doctor was able to take the girl from the child's spine, but she was still orphaned. It's actually a very sad story. Craven was then hired by Edward Lansky, the future light master, to work with Tarantula and kidnap various city officials. Craven bought two leashed tigers, and then he continually sent them to attack others and would complete the kidnappings. And then he tried to kill Spider-Man, only to get electrocuted when he stabbed a wire instead of the hero. Spider then had to hurt those tigers to defeat them. Craven used dogs to, uh, excuse me, not dogs. Craven used drugs to uh, attack Spider-Man another time. Uh, he also drugged and collared Tigra to make her obey his will. After making two heroes fight, he unleashed a pack of gathered exotic animals against them. And then Craven was defeated once again. He started to realize he had lost his sense of armor. Uh, oh my God. He started to realize he had lost his sense of honor, delving into lying and cheating to win. And he took a break from hunting for a time. A longtime romantic partner, Calypso, who's a Haitian sorceress, traveled with Craven to New York with a large shipment of live animals. And Calypso let them out, and after Craven apprehended them, apprehended them, she blamed Spider-Man for letting them out. Craven grew very violent with Calypso before he lured Spider-Man into a trap at the Museum of Natural History. Despite being quickly overpowered, Spider-Man still handed Craven an easy defeat as the cops arrived. Out of jail and back with Calypso, Craven hunted civilians in a city construct he had built and was determined to go after Spider-Man again, desperate to prove himself his better. Spider-Man became hallucinatory due to traps and tricks used by Craven and Calypso. And when Spider-Man was nearly defeated, Calypso threw a spear at him and Craven snatched it out of the air, feeling that Calypso was denying him the honor of his own hunt and kill. And Craven then turned himself into the authorities. Uh, the key issues in this space, Amazing Spider-Man 211, Daredevil 104 and 105, Marvel Chillers number four, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number two and number 65, Marvel Team-Up number 67, and finally Amazing Spider-Man number 209. Let me turn it over to Daniel. This is going to be fun. Um, let's start with the prosecution. Um in order of court fashion. Uh, so first I would like to thank the esteemed members of the jury for their service. Uh, and as I present my case, ask that they keep in mind the danger that the defendant poses to the public. Craven the Hunter is without question a cold-blooded murderer. He kills without reason and does whatever is, in, is within his means to end the most heroic members of our society for sport alone, putting countless others at risk by removing those who have sworn to protect them. The list of crimes in this case is extensive, and each one is worse than the last. The defendant faces 11 counts of assault with a deadly weapon, including but not limited to a mace, an axe, arrows, poison-tipped arrows, poison-tipped darts, and most egregious of all, multifunctional nipple lasers. The defendant also faces five counts of kidnapping, two counts of manslaughter, seven counts of attempted murder, five counts of murder, and two counts of violating the Endangered Species Act. And for what? Well, Craven himself gives us only one reason. When offered payment for his services, he said, quote, I seek only the thrill of the hunt, end quote. This is to say nothing of the two instances where he stripped Gibbon and Tigra of all their autonomy and forced them to commit crimes in his name. 
namely the attempted murder in the first degree of everyone's friendly favorite friendly neighborhood or everyone's favorite friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. A crime of non-consensual mind control. He is misogynistic, fat phobic, and generally reprehensible. This is an individual who is nipple laser focused on only one goal and is completely indifferent to the carnage he leaves in his wake. An individual incapable of rehabilitation as he's proven time and time again that he will own that he will do anything for the hunt. To evaluate his culpability, we look no further than Daredevil number 105, when a shocked bystander watched in horror as Craven the Hunter held a limp Daredevil above his head before throwing him over the cliffside. He said, quote, they say he hunts just for the thrill of it and destroys his prey without mercy, end quote. The defendant's response, quote, utterly without mercy, you spineless lout, watch, end quote. Cunning, ruthless, remorseless, and clear malice of forethought. This is the man that sits before you today. This is Craven the Hunter. We kindly ask the court that he be given the maximum sentence for these heinous and callous crimes. And then I will turn it over to the defense. So the defense, uh, before I begin, I would like to remind the court that my client did turn himself in. So with that on the record, uh, thank you all for being here today as we come to the aid of a man misunderstood. Uh, people of the jury, Sergey is not a perfect man. He has made mistakes of that, we can be sure, but who among us has not? You'll hear in this courtroom a presentation of numerous frivolous charges, but I ask the jury to look beyond the buzzwords the prosecution will throw at you, like attempted murder and murder, and see the man for who he truly is, a mentor to Earth's mightiest heroes. The best training exercise. He spot the likes of Spider-Man, Daredevil, Black Widow, and Tiger, each time posing a new challenge for the heroes. He expresses genuine disappointment when he feels they'll be defeated too easily and joy when they show signs of besting him. It is also worth noting to the court that unlike the dreaded summer mariner, he didn't harm a single elephant in his challenge to Natasha Romanoff. <laughs> I propose to the jury that Mr. The Hunter only aims to make our heroes the best versions of themselves, teaching them to be better heroes. Sure, his methods were a bit unorthodox. Perhaps they would have been better served with an approach akin to other mentors, such as Stick, the Ancient One, or Agatha Harkness. But there are those who might argue that they're not all that different. Sergei has genuine love in his heart, love for his craft and love for the planet and the creatures that inhabit it. He even had great love for the people closest to him. And it is this love that drove his actions. He just wants the world to be a safer place. When he lost his friend Gog, he decided to go after Spider-Man, but not for revenge. No, Sergei wished to make the web-slinger better so that in his next battles, there would be no casualties. I mean, what is attempted murder, if not love persevering? In the final act of this section of his history, Sergei even uh, next even sacrifices his own love to the voodoo practitioner Calypso to save Spider-Man's life after she uh, poisoned him unfairly. Now, does that sound like a cold-blooded killer to you? Craven the Hunter? No. People of the jury, take a good look at my client and you will see a caring soul. Not Craven the Hunter, but Craven the Lover. Sorry. I uh, hate myself. I <laughs> loved it. That was wonderful. And Derek Kinskin will laugh out loud upon hearing the name or punching an elephant reference. From <laughs> I also the, the will be using... Go ahead. Oh, I just going to say I'll also be using nipple laser focus forever now. <laughs> ah, 
great lot. There were like four one-liners in there that were just perfect. But uh, the icing on the cake is just the callback to the worst score someone's gotten. I think when it had to do with the elephants, if I remember right, uh, the elephant, the elephant of it all, really, really killed. I can't even remember the character, but I, do, I remember the moment. It was just if I had to choose for a lot of people. If I had to choose one story out of Craven's most history, the one that made me laugh hardest, more than his nipple lasers, was Black Widow tied to the ground with the elephants all around her, like, ready to stomp on her if she moved. It's so funny. It's so funny. It made me laugh really hard. <laughs> what, uh, what questions or comments do we have uh, as we see misogyny introduced at a higher level, as well as uh, murder in Craven's history in this section? <laughs> Dan, I'd like to know what um, what responsibility you put on the people who were witness to Black Widow's uh, torment. Well, they 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 um, my the prosecution would say that they are innocent bystanders and they they are they are not uh, within their grounds to to interfere with a potentially dangerous situation and they are within their rights to withhold um withhold their actions in that moment and the, the defense would be that they are just as responsible to save daredevil and, and black widow as the police were so uh the defense will, will say that they are if we are going to prosecute my client then then we we must prosecute every person in that audience uh or or or, or else it's just it's just horrible we can't we we can't if we can't prosecute them all then we must acquit <laughs> Do we have any other questions or comments on this section? Mm -mm. This one seems a little more self-explanatory. Uh, Daniel, beautiful job. Welcome to the trials, my friend. That was a blast. Uh, yes. I will go first this time. I, I want to go like handsome nipple lasers and like drop the score again, but we're murder and the misogyny and like the mind control potions. It's a five for me here. Uh, Alicia. Oh, I think it's going to be a lot of fives today, Chad. I'm going five. <laughs> uh, Tristan. There is a line in here. Let me just read it. Let me just read a line from your summary again. Craven hunted civilians in a city construct he built. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Can, yes. Can I assume that's a five? <laughs> uh, Corey. <laughs> uh, lack of elephant violence aside, uh, I think, yeah, we're going to. It's going to be a five. Anya? Uh, Tristan really hit the nail on the head there with hunting of civilians, amongst <laughs> all the other more obvious stuff. Like uh, Anya? I would be a five, but I'm going to drop it to a four because the defense referenced WandaVision, and I am so amazed by their their uh, argument that, yeah, drop it. And then uh, lastly, Daniel. Oh, oh, I can't believe the defense got one point drop. Wow. Okay. Uh, the prosecution would like to thank the jury for their, uh, for their service and um, would like to give their own rating of a, of a very clear five in this section. Absolutely fair. Uh, with that, that gives us a 29 out of 30 in that section. And we will move to point three. All right, we will now go to trial point three. This is called Craven the Depressed. The assigned jury member here is Tristan Palmgren. AIM scientist Ramona Starr, we talked about this crazy lady in the Kazar trial, and I love her, and I've actually scheduled a Patreon about her, so be ready. I, I really enjoy this character. She's nuts. 
AIM scientist Ramona Starr, who had shot Kazar in the head and left him wandering around the streets of New York, got Craven out of jail and hired him to go after Kazar. Craven, getting a bit of uh, get, getting a bit rough with Ramona, refused until he saw news in the paper about Calypso being out of jail, and he still wanted to prove himself worthy of Calypso by showing her he could beat Spider-Man. So after d- disposing of some cops, Craven attacked the wounded Kazar, telling him that he'd grown soft like a woman. But when he leapt in for the killing blow, Ramona fired a shot that had knocked him off of the roof, along with Shanna, the she-devil, it's a whole thing. And Kesar saved Craven from falling, and then Spider-Man caught them in a web. Craven, ho- uh, excuse me, Craven honorably helped save Kesar and chose to wait to attack Spider-Man since the police were closing in. Soon, Craven battled Tigra again in California while robbing a museum. He drugged her and nearly defeated her, but Hawkeye and Mockingbird intervened and stopped him. Feeling old and wanting to die, Craven captured Spider-Man, shot him, and buried him alive in that same mystic ritual that he had undergone when he was with Aja Arisha years before. Craven then dressed as Spider-Man and briefly sought to be the hero, wanting to prove himself better than Spider-Man and he captured the villain Vermin in order to do so. Soon Spider-Man escaped his grave and confronted Craven, who stripped off Spidey's costume and put his own vest and loincloth back on. Craven then, feeling as though he'd proven himself Spidey's better, forced combat, but Vermin escaped, and Spider-Man rushed off to find him, with Craven promising that he would never hunt again. Finally at peace with himself, Craven shot himself in the head, and landed dead in his own coffin, his blood dripping down a photo of his childhood self in front of his parents. Craven left behind a will and was buried in a grave that said he had died with honor. And God, this is a really, really good story. For those that haven't read it, that's the uh, Craven's Last Hunt story. The key issues in this section are Kesar the Savage 20 and 21, West Coast Avengers Volume 2, Number 3, Web of Spider-Man 31, Amazing Spider-Man 293, Peter Parker, the, the Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man 131, Back to Web of Spider-Man 32, and then the conclusion of Craven's Last Hunt in Amazing Spider-Man 294. And let me turn it over to uh, Tristan Palmgren. Well, first of all, in the uh, the the speaking for the prosecution, um, I can't imagine how annoying it would have been to uh, hunt down all of the the issues in the storyline spread across so many different comics. Um, I don't think there's more than two in uh, the six-part series of the same comic line, so got that going against him. Trade paperbacks, my friend. (laughs) Yes, that is is the way to go. but if this sounds a little, uh, well, because my brain does not work, I, I wrote a summary of these stories rather than a prosecution or defense. So if this sounds a little ad hoc, uh, that's because it is. And I apologize for that. But as I said, I, I, my brain doesn't work. Um, but the prosecution's case is that everything in the world from animals to people is a step stool for Craven in his own private drama. Um, he does. He interacts with everything living, from other people to the beasts he claims to respect as objects. Um, he captured Vermin uh, and trapped him in a cage. Uh, and in a scene that mirrors one that uh, the one that we mentioned earlier, with the uh, with the tiger in the cage, um, 
before this, he also just has a plain ordinary rat in a cage and is chasing it around, stabbing it with a knife and just engaging in general animal cruelty and doing this um, again because he's, he, he sees everything as, as an object. He sees vermin as an object. Uh, he hunted Kazar for absolutely no reason at all. Um, it's important to note, I think, that when uh, when Ramona busted him out of prison for the purpose of hunting Kazar, um, she wanted Kazar alive, um, and <laughs> uh, and Craven did not in, um, initially did not take her offer and only took it incidentally when he saw the newspaper article about Calypso being out. Um, he, he then uh, promised uh, 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 promised Ramona that he that he would kill Kazar rather than uh, rather than capture him alive as he wanted, and there was really no reason for him for uh, for for him to do this. He uh, he doesn't even care about Kazar. He he turned down the challenge when it was first offered to uh, to him. He was just malicious. And speaking of malicious, he was absolutely remorseless about what he had done to Tigra in the previous section, where he had put a, what he, his words, calls a slave collar on her and compelled him or compelled her to uh, to obey him. Um, I mean, this did not happen in these issues, but this happened a while ago. And when he speaks with Tigra again, he's had a chance to reflect upon it, and he continues to show no remorse. He plainly would do it again, and he's plainly. Uh, danger to everybody around him. Uh, he also, um, in, the, in some of these early issues, especially with Kazar, is uh, misogynistic for, for no reason whatsoever. Uh, and later on in the, the Last Hunt of Craven storyline, he uh, puts Spider-Man out of commission for two weeks, burying him alive, basically ruining his life. Um, while he takes uh, Spider-Man's identity and goes berserk as Spider-Man uh, to the point where he murders multiple people uh, in Spider-Man's costume and the newspapers are freaking out saying Spider-Man's gone berserk. Um, he, he, took, uh, he took Peter Parker away from Mary Jane. Their relationship is always deep, is, um, deeply affected by uh by what craven does to him and that they they're they're newlyweds and he just takes spider-man away for 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 two weeks it, the defense might point out that this is something that since peter parker's identity wasn't known um to uh to him that he couldn't have foreseen but come on he's taking he's taking another human being a person that later on in the in the issue he acknowledges is a good person uh and just taking him out of uh out of commission taking him away from his loved ones his family with no word um nothing allowed to reach them whatsoever uh it's it, it, it it's treating them as it's treating them as an object everything is just a stepping stool in his own little personal drama. And he is incapable of interacting with polite society or any society until uh, until he changes this. But I, after so long and with so many opportunities to look back and reflect upon what he does, 
he's is plainly not ever going to take it. He needs to be put away. Beautiful work, my friend. Thank Switching you. personas to defense, uh, things do get a lot more complicated um, uh, uh, for Craven here. Um, in those early stories, uh, probably his his two most notable action, non-villainous actions there are that he says again that he's in prison because he wants to be, and it's got nothing to do with Spider-Man. Uh, it's got, quote, to do something you obviously never encountered called pride. He has a code and he's holding himself to that code. Uh, he also uh, does... Uh, even though he was just trying to brutally murder uh, Kazar um, a few moments ago, a few moments ago, he does also save Craven's life or uh, save Kazar's life shortly after Kazar saves his, uh, because Craven respects courage in any form. The other mitigating circumstance here is that Kazar was then suffering from a head wound. He had been shot in the head uh, and was amnesiac, but, uh, but most importantly, he did not have the ability to to speak and he was not uh he was not operating on his uh, his full his uh, full capacities and could not tell uh Craven this as as he was being hunted and as soon as Craven discovers this uh he is immediately actually remorseful uh he he reg he regrets uh, ever hunting Kazar in such a state, and then immediately, and then immediately, kind of immediately, just kind of forgets Kazar's his quarry. He again, he saves his life while Kazar is um, is still having some non-specific damage that's causing him to to pass out because of the bu this bullet in his brain. Uh, then in the fame in the uh, the. Uh, the last hunt of Craven storyline that he that um, we continue to recur or re, excuse me return to, we come to the defense's main point, which is that Craven does not understand what he's doing. He exists in his own world. He does see people as objects, as pieces on a game board. That's true, but it be it's because he's so mentally out of it, so uh, destroyed by his traumas and the drugs that he's. He's pumped into his brain that there's no, there is, in a very literal sense, no recognition of other people as people, except in very rare circumstances. Uh, he does things like surround himself with spiders. He eats them very graphically and grossly to try to, um, to try to, to become the spider. Um, this whole thing where he knocks out Spider-Man for two weeks and takes his identity is about proving himself to himself. He doesn't even, he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing or why he's doing it. He's not boisterous. He's not gloating. He is just setting this challenge for himself of beating Spider-Man, not only physically, but by proving himself better, by being a better Spider-Man, um, which he satisfies himself that he, that he is able to do when he defeats Furman single-handedly, which is something that a few issues ago, Spider-Man had not been capable of doing. Um, and finally, when he does start to show some of the, uh, uh, some of the, uh, the understanding of Spider-Man as a person or the person un um, underneath, underneath the, the, the costume, 
he goes out of his way to undo some of the harm that he's caused to Spider-Man. He has all along taken photographic evidence of himself taking Spider-Man's identity and putting Spider-Man out of commission and put that in his will so that after, after he dies, after he has killed himself, uh, he does undo some of the harm that he's, um, that, that he's caused Spider-Man and that this, this kind of, this is able to somewhat save Spider-Man's reputation as a superhero. But he, he lives in a different world than, than all of us. And while the defense may admit that he is criminally culpable in many of his deeds, in particular, um, particularly all of the, uh, the innocents that are, that are, uh, in his way that he's knocked off earlier, he sh should, he needs to be institutionalized. He needs to go to some place where he can get cared for rather than uh, maximum security prison. He is not in the same world that the, that everyone else around him lives in. Uh, beautiful job, Tristan. Thank you. For those that were listening, uh, that scene of Craven's suicide, uh, were you guys aware that that had taken place or was this your first time hearing that? It's, a, it's an intense story. Yes, that was new to me. It's so well constructed. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I love that story. Uh, at the end, he is satisfied that he has finally triumphed over the spider. And when he refers to the spider, he's not referring to Spider-Man. He's referring to this amorphous evil that has haunted him all his life, that he that has chased him and his family out for uh, out of Russia that called his mother insane and institutionalized her. Basically everything that's ever gone wrong in his life has due to his obsession with Spider-Man become the fault of the spider. The spider being something completely separate from Spider-Man in his imagination at this point. And he's also gone mad like his mother had. That's a very clear part of this story. Uh, we start, we see the details of that youth and that was the thing he was always afraid of, uh, which is such a fascinating character driver to give him. Uh, okay, let's turn it to the jury. Thoughts uh, and or questions on this section of Craven's history. It's kind of his best, but also like, oof. Like, dude, you, you're not okay right now. <laughs> I, I have one question. So in the instance with Kazar where he found out that Kazar was wounded and decided to kind of change course in his plans, do you think that was because he actually felt bad uh, and was like, oh, I shouldn't be hunting um, someone who's wounded? Or do you think it was because he wanted more of a challenge and he felt like it would be too easy for him to go after someone who was in that state. So he decided to walk away. I think he's that also, he genuinely- also so horny for Kesar, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, uh, when, um, when my hand is free, I will, there's some, there's some art I need to, to post in chat. Um, but yes, I think he does genuinely feel bad when he saves Kazar's life. There's a line in there in particular, um, it's somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat awkwardly phrased, but when he helps to heal Kazar, he says his suffering is at an end. It's written in an odd way because this is being used as a head fake to convince the reader that, uh, that, that he has killed Kazar, uh, which is not the case, but he is also 
showing that he he is at least trying to empathize with Kazar and does not want to see him suffer. All right, cool. Thank you. Other questions here? In the section description where it tell, says he disposed of the cops, did he just kill them? No, he just like pushes, he, he just beats them up and runs away, if I'm remembering correctly. This isn't a murder section, at least in that part, but there's plenty of murder here. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does, um, I don't believe he kills any, off, any uh, police officers, but he does kill plenty of people when he's uh, running around uh, masquerading as Spider-Man. Mostly uh, the kind of people that Spider-Man would have just beat up and arrested. He he beats very badly and uh, is explicitly shown to have killed uh, uh, killed many of them. Gotcha. And they don't matter to him. They're just it's, stepping stools. It's interesting that his most uh, like that one of his most like trauma filled like egregious sections of history is also where he shows. So far, his most uh, the most amount of humanity, um, which is bad. Like with the whole situation with Kesar, it's 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 very interesting. Um, I don't know. This this is a hard. This is a heavy one. We keep saying if you haven't read Craven's Last Hunt, go read Craven's Last Hunt. There's a reason it's considered such an amazing story. It's incredible. Really, really beautiful. Mike Zek on pencils. Craven uh, is wearing like a vest and a loincloth. And it's like, you can see both sides of his hips and he's so hot, but he's also a crazy person. And you can just see it in his eyes. It's He's nuts. He's a, it, it's a really crazy time for him. Though I do want to point out again that in the opening he of that story, he is not wearing anything at all. And he's is in naked. fact very oiled up. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's go ahead and vote in this section. Uh, we're gonna go Corey first. Uh, so I feel like just based on the based on the description and summaries themselves, it's an easy four. But Tristan got me with the um, with the stepping stones and viewing people as objects and uh, just the, how far reaching some of that stuff when he was trying to be Spider Man was. So that kind of upped it into like, yeah, this isn't just Sergey being Sergey. This is pretty evil shit. So I'm gonna go five. Anya. I'm going with four because of the amount of mental instability that he is obviously suffering from. Daniel. Uh, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in the same vein as Anya because I feel um, it, I, I am not a person who thinks that trauma val, uh, excuses actions, like always feel bad for the child, not the adult uh, because we all make choices. But at the same time, in this particular section, his mental, his mental state is very, it has to be considered. So I would say four. It's, I'm going to surprise you guys. It's a three for me here by reason of insanity. Uh, Alicia. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I really wanted to go five just because I feel that should be the thing for this whole thing. But uh, I, the, there's some. Tugging on my heartstrings here, so I'm going for. And Tristan. The murders and the these um, again treating uh, treating other people as objects, and especially continuing to do things like assault caged animals. <laughs> at the very least, puts this at a four. I'm still leaning towards a five. Um, 
but I would like the uh, the judge to uh, to take into consideration uh, the recommended sentencing guideline, uh, recommended or uh, recommended sentencing of um, of institutionalization rather than putting them away forever. So I'm going to count that as a five. We're going to call this a 25 out of 30. And I would consider institutionalization, but he did. <laughs> At least for a minute. Uh, oh, yeah, like this is also superhero this... comics, though, so just wait. <laughs> I'd like to commend Tristan's uh, prosecution, because having read these comics today, I would have gone with a three, but um, based on, like, the whole mental health side of it. But they made a solid solid argument against that. Uh, this next part is not part of the trial. I'm just listing this because it's part of continuity. This is important. After Craven died, Spider-Man fought his ghost once and also his undead corpse once, but then the chameleon posed as Craven the Hunter to fight Spider-Man, and then Vladimir was the new Craven the Hunter, but he also called himself the Grim Hunter, but then he was killed by Kane, who is a, a clone of Spider-Man, but not the same clone as Ben Riley. and then Alyosha became the new Craven. Uh, but he became obsessed with a life in Hollywood. And then finally, Anastasia or Anastasia was sent by Sasha. Both of them uh, are introduced in the same time uh, to begin hunting spiders. They kidnapped Madame Webb, killed Spider-Woman, who was the teenage Spider-Girl, uh, Mad Maddie Franklin. And they used this in order to raise Vladimir from the dead. But he was resurrected as a weird little lion man. And then they killed Kane uh, in Spider-Man's costume, thinking they were killing Spider-Man in order to bring Kraven back in this mystic ritual that they had prepared. And thus we have this whole new era of Kraven who's now unable to die. And that's that doesn't all sound confusing at all. <laughs> that's all preface for like just setting up this next section of the trial. Uh, so this is trial point four. This is Kraven the Undead. And the jury member is my friend Corey Thomas. Overwhelmed by being alive again, Craven found himself in the midst of his complicated family drama with various spider heroes captive. Looking at the body of Cain, nailed to the wall, he realized that he was now immortal and that only Spider-Man could kill him. As Sasha killed Madame Webb, Spider-Man attacked and beat Craven, but refused to kill him. Craven took his family to the Savage Land, where he killed Sasha and then Vladimir, and then he told Alyosha and Anna to hunt each other in order to prove their worth to him. And uh, Anna later killed Ali off panel. Craven aggressively hunted Agent Venom, Flash Thompson, in the Savage Land until he scared the symbiote off of Flash, determining Flash was unworthy to be killed then because he was a cripple. Yeesh. He left Flash to die uh, by being attacked from bat monsters, but of course he survived. Craven was later hired by the mad scientist Sherry Holman to fight the Black Panther and Storm, and he forced a tragic mutate named Brian Fitzgerald to use his powers during the fight. In the end, Craven backed down while the heroes arrested Holman. Craven then hunted the Hulk, and losing himself in the thrill of the hunt, he savagely murdered a Sasquatch in an attempt to get Hulk to convince Spider-Man to kill him. He's like, Spidey, please let me die. Craven then dressed as the Scarlet Spider, and he fought Cain, who had also been resurrected and had now, now had a whole new heroic life in Houston. While Anna captured all of Cain's civilian allies, Craven kept them drugged and tied up in the zoo, and he savagely slashed at the face of the captive hero Hummingbird when she tried to escape. Craven then lured Cain uh, in and was determined to make him angry enough to want to kill him. But when Cain refused, Craven ordered Anna to brutally eviscer eviscerate Donald Meelan, a civilian character, 
He did later survive narrowly right in front of Donald's husband. Cain then killed Craven, but he also revived him by restarting his heart. And he hoped that that would break the curse of Craven having to have Spider-Man kill him. Uh, so these key issues here are in Amazing Spider-Man 636, 637, and 641, uh, Venom Volume 2, Number 2, Black Panther, The Man Without Fear, 518 to 520, Incredible Hulk Volume 3, Number 11, and Starlet Spider 21 through 23. Let me turn it over to Corey. <clears throat> okay, well, uh, I've realized how much I really like the irony of the defense. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's more because it's fun, but you're going to get a lot more defense than you are prosecution from me. <laughs> but, uh, we'll start out with, uh, with, with the prosecution. So uh, those first couple, those first couple books, it's, it's a really easy, very simple. Craven murders his brother and his wife in cold blood. Nothing, nothing really more to be said there. They show up in the savage land and he cuts them and they're done. Well, he cuts one of them. He breaks. He breaks Sasha's neck, I believe. Uh, and not only not only that, but he then manipulates his children into murdering one another. One of them's going to murder uh, the other one. Eventually, Anna ends up out on top there. Uh, moving into the moving into the Venom stuff, Sergey, all geeked out on voodoo dust, chases down and tries to kill a disabled American veteran a hero on a mission to stop a vibranium mining operation, which would have endless dire consequences if allowed to thrive. Interfering with world-saving operations, all for his own sick thrill of the hunt. If left unchecked, who knows where this madness will end and what kind of far-reaching consequences it could have. Something must be done. In a civilized society, rabid beasts are put down for the safety of the public and the mercy of the inflicted. How is this any different? Moving on to some of the Black Panther uh, issue stuff. So associating with and working for an evil scientist experimenting on people uh, who's also joyfully euthanizing failed projects. Uh, decidedly, very bad thing. You know, you, you, are, you are the sum of who you associate with. And this, this mad scientist, Dr. Chick, is no bueno. Uh, not defendable at all. Uh, Hunting heroes and young men across Manhattan, also pretty bad. Uh, had it not been for Storm swooping in at the last minute, he would have even he would have actually ended the Panther's life uh, after many poisons, many poison darts, and uh, jumping jumps across rooftops. He's uh, he's about to fall to his death, uh, and then Storm has to come in and save him. <clears throat> Moving into some of the Hulk stuff. Uh, while hunting and killing Sasquatches may not necessarily be illegal, it's absolutely morally reprehensible as these creatures have sentience and society and are just minding their own business. Uh, until Sergei inserts himself in another vain attempt at figuring out some way to get the spider to kill him. That's really the whole theme of all this. He just wants the spider to kill him. Not illegal, but definitely a dick move, uh, killing the Sasquatches. <clears throat> Moving on to Scarlet Spider stuff. Conspiracy, kidnapping, attempted murder. Uh, the defendant and his daughter, Anna, adding to the long list of crimes while in Houston. Uh, they've established these patterns over and over again. We must do something about the Kravinovs. Holding civilians, doctors, and police officers captive in a zoo, all as a part of his game with Kane, 
who was trying to live a good life as a hero in Houston. Uh, this type of consistent criminal behavior cannot be forgiven or taken lightly. This man, no, this animal, and his demented offspring must be removed from society. <clears throat> so those are my prosecutions. Now on to the more fun defense stuff. <laughs> so obviously really bad dude doing bad stuff, but uh, Craven, in defense, Craven was brought back by some bungled magic on behalf of his wife. He didn't ask to be brought back and almost immediately drew Spider-Man to him so he could kill him and just be done with it. Spider-Man could kill Sergei and be done with it. He didn't want any of it and was trying to get back out. He had already completed his masterpiece, as he says, and had the death that he wanted on his own terms. Uh, now to speak of these so-called murders. The defense argues that these killings happened in the Savage Land, where the laws of man mean nothing and the laws of the jungle prevail. By these laws, Sergei was ridding the world of a crazed necromancer of a woman who kept bringing people back in these half-assed, ill-informed ways and causing lots of problems. Sergei did the world a favor, unless you want necromancers running around and resurrecting people all willy-nilly. As for Vlad, this was a mercy killing in the most obvious fashion. As someone with a deep respect for life and sense of honor, Sergei was doing Vladimir a favor. He knew what it was like to be brought back under shitty circumstances and just wanted to end the suffering of his now monster brother. As for the so-called manipulation of his remaining family, this is a man with dreams of building a new legacy in the Savage Land, and by the laws of the jungle, only the fittest survive. This is simply Sergei assuring the proper balance of things in the aptly named, in this aptly named Savage Land. <clears throat> onto some of his Venom stuff. So, okay, people, I feel like my job is easy on this one, easily defendable. Mr. Kravinov should be awarded a hero's medal for his actions uh, in this story. <coughs> this is a man who took it upon himself to hunt and put down a dangerous alien from outer space that has latched itself onto a decorated American hero, protector of the Savage Land, more like protector of Earth, not to even mention that this alien killed Sergei's awesome velociraptor mount with what was my client supposed to do? Not defend and avenge the beast who had eaten many slabs of meat from his hand since it had been a little lizard. One could argue that this was more than a pet. It was a friend who stood beside, or sometimes under, him through all the trials and tribulations the protector of the savage lamb must go through. Not only does this easily justify, not only is this easily just by those standards, but if we allow aliens to come down and kill our animal friends with no consequence, are we not just as culpable? Hashtag Avenge Lizzie. I named the lizard. It might already have a name. <laughs> <clears throat> if you believe in animal and human rights at all, you'll donate to the GoFundMe set up by my firm to help ensure more protection for these beautiful creatures and increase funding for the selfless Sergei Kravinov to continue his good deeds. <clears throat> As for the Black Panther of it all, as a man of honor, Sergei was paying back a life debt to this doctor. He was trying to get young Brian off the street where he was in danger to himself and to those around him. In the end, Brian was unharmed, and Sergei also freed all of the creatures that the evil doctor had been keeping prisoner. I say that's worthy of some redemption points for sure. During this honorable hunt, no lives were permanently hurt, and many were actually saved by Sergei in the end, 
who released these poor creatures into the savage land where they could be at peace. Again, where is my client's medal? Moving into some Hulk stuff. All I see here is a hunter hunting creatures in the forest. These skunk apes have removed themselves from the world of man, therefore do not fall under the laws of man. As for hunting the Hulk, time and time again, we've seen evidence that the Hulk can't be reasoned with like a normal person. And all Sergei wanted to do was talk to him and make a deal. No lasting physical damage was done to the gamma-powered green beast, and he even became Lord of the Forest. So no harm, no foul there. On to some Scarlet Spider action. Ladies and gentlemen, if we took if we look at all the details of these charges, all of the crimes were committed by Anna Kravinov. My client, Sergei, had a bone to pick with a super-powered, formerly nasty spider clone. Some of you may be quick to forgive, but others are not so fickle. Have we forgotten the terrible things Kane has done? Sergei kept his disagreement between himself and Kane, and was eventually killed for it. Anna and Kane should be the ones on trial here, not Sergei. They're the ones committing all the crimes. All Sergei wants is a good fair fight. We see this when he gets that fair fight and leaves the situation as soon as it's over. He's not murdering. He's not slashing men who are tied up to a pole in a zoo, Anna. He's just sparring with a superpowered clone. All of these circumstances and all of the negative aspects of this fall at the feet of Anna Kravinov. And the defense rests its case there. Beautiful work, my friend. That's a lot of fun. And those are very creative defenses. <laughs> uh, this is a this is a unpopular story for a lot of reasons. I know a lot of fans really reacted to the story of Craven's Resurrection. With uh, they felt like it was undoing the their favorite story, which is the Craven's Last Hunt story. They did it in a really creative way. This was during a crazy era of Spider-Man, and it became like this whole Craven family saga. And then he's back with a vengeance and can be used all over the place. Uh, and we get some pretty decent stories out of this era. What are the uh, thoughts, comments, questions from the jury on this section of Craven's history, his resurrection? Daniel. What did you name the Sasquatch? Skunk Ape? Oh, I think you called her Lizzie. Oh, so Liz, no, Lizzie was the Velociraptor. So he, uh, that may not have been clear. So uh, he had a mount that was the Velociraptor that he was riding as he was chasing oh. the Hulk through the jungle. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Other questions or comments on this section? I think it's interesting that the thing that drives Craven wild is that his agency about his own life has been taken away from him. And this is intolerable, but he's done the same thing to so many other people through uh through drugging through capturing them through imprisoning them underground for two weeks and taking over their life to again using his words a slave collar he gets back dying when it comes work. to i was gonna say he gets back dying doesn't work he takes his family to the savage land kills one kid snaps his wife's neck and is like i'm gonna make the best of the situation now it's intense man <laughs> so when it comes to things like the the poisons and the traps and the and the slave collar type things he actually he, he mentions this specifically because the panther calls him out on it like you're supposed to be this honorable fighter but you're like poisoning me and making me loose and shit uh craven's response to that is i'm just using the tools i have at hand just the same way that you are any other questions on this section 
Uh, okay, with that, let's go ahead and uh, vote. We will begin with Anya. I'm going with three. It's bullshit to bring people back to life against their will. I say this as a diehard fan of Buffy. Uh, Daniel. Um, I got to give justice for the Sasquatch and for the liberation of Lizzie, five. It's a five for me here, too. I have some sympathy, but he committed a lot of murder with his own hands. Alicia. I'm going to go four because there is definitely a lot of murder. But I think the two defense points that really struck me are the bringing him back when he didn't want to be brought back and the law of the jungle. You know, that was a good point. So four. I can just hear something <laughs> in my head going, kill or be killed. <laughs> <laughs> and then Corey. Uh, my, my score is going to be a three hinging on those, those two very things. Like he didn't want to be there. He's, I mean, he's, a, he's, it's everything that happened after he was brought back as a circumstance of Sasha's misdoings. That uh, gives us a, that gives us a 24 in this section. And then we will go to Craven's most oh, recent wait, history. Tristan, I don't think, uh, oh, oh, Tristan, I'm so sorry. No, no, you, you, no, you're fine. Um, I am going to go, uh, add a four onto that though um with the point being taken uh being taken off because he is in circumstance because despite the fact that he has um he's committed many crimes uh, and committed the crime of trying of taking other people's choices away um robbing them of their free will um that doesn't make it any better that it's been done to him uh, and that does explain, uh, in some way, some of the uh, the ways in which he goes, he goes wild and enraged here. And that it is, it is, I think, in some circumstances, could be said to be self defense. Weirdly, Although, I have already written a four in your section, so the, <laughs> I don't know what happened. But the score here is twenty four out of thirty. Uh, and then we're going to go into our final section, which is Craven's most recent round of history. We're calling this Craven the Obsessed. The jury member assigned is Anya, or Anya Prosser. And I know Anya's got big feelings about this already. We've chatted a little this week. Uh, Craven blew up a wall of the Daily Bugle and began beating up and threatening and torturing reporters wanting intel on Spider-Man. But Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew, arrived and easily defeated him. Working for Mayor Kingpin, uh, Wilson Fisk, Craven hunted down innocent reptilian creatures that were living peacefully beneath the city and battled Venom, briefly working with the supervillain Shriek before he was defeated again. Hydra hired Craven to go after Captain America, and Craven gladly hunted him al along with civilian David Cotter on the grounds, uh, on a set of grounds filled with traps, but Craven, rather than be captured, threw himself into the ocean. Craven also kidnapped old man Logan and then dropped him off in the savage land so he could hunt him, considering Wolverine in his prime to be the ultimate apex predator that Craven could hunt. He was again defeated. Craven hired Taskmaster and the Black Ant to begin rounding up animal-themed supervillains and superheroes. Then he hired Arcade to help him build a contained environment in Central Park that he could use to contain these villains under a force field he had uh, Arcade also build battle suits that old white men could rent from him or purchase from him to upload themselves in to hunt these villains in Central Park. Craven then hunted down and killed many of the uh, many animal men in order to convince or intimidate the high evolutionary into making 87 clones of Craven. And then he sent these clones out into the world to hunt each other and prove themselves 
uh, planning to let only his surviving son embrace his legacy. Only one son survived. And then Sergei promised that he was a monster, an abomination, and praised the child for being exactly what he hoped he would be. Then desiring to end his life again, Craven first wanted to kill poachers, so he got them to invest in his villain hunting scheme, upload their consciousnesses into these robotic forms, and then set them loose in Central Park. There were casualties, and then Craven attacked Spider-Man directly, lecturing him about the honor of the hunt as he slashed at the hero with a knife. Things got complicated, but then Craven killed some guards and tried to make Spider-Man feel responsible. Then he promised to end all of the conflict if, if Spider-Man would kill him. And the honor, or excuse me, the armors of the poachers were turned off and many of these poachers were killed. And in the end, and I'm summing up a long story, I promise. In the end, Craven faced up to his own criminal behavior and the ways that he had failed in life. Then Craven put on the costume of Spider-Man and battled his son who thought he was fighting Spider-Man. The clone of Craven beat his father to death and grieved him after he realized that the man inside the costume was actually his dad. Which is his second suicide now. He left a picture of himself with his clone children on top of his coffin. And uh, now the last son of Craven, uh, his clone, has gone on to kill many others. And again, this is the guy that was on Krakoa recently. The key issues in this section are Secret Empire, Brave New World number three, Venom, uh, 155 through 158, Captain America, 697, Old Man Logan, 41 and 42. And then the key issues in that very long Spider-Man story I mentioned are uh, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 16 and 22. Uh, let me turn it over to Anya. My esteemed members of the jury, I come to you today to ask what role does suffering take in our lives? We have all experienced suffering, the struggles, the challenges, the devastating consequences of life. This is what happened to my client, Sergei Korevinov. He was brought back to life against his will by his widow. And as a result of her work, he could not die. The magic she used in order to resurrect him mandated that Sergei could only die at the hands of the spider. As you and I know, the moral codes imparted by the so-called Spider-Man often lack a sense of perspective. And thus, my client was forced to suffer. He could not die. He could not rest. The man had lived for over 100 years, had witnessed the loss of his home country through political corruption a multitude of times, had twice experienced the deaths of his nuclear family, and had been ostracized from many locations, including his beloved Savage Land. Were the spider to be sympathetic, to demonstrate compassion for my client, he would have alleviated Surrey of his suffering and aided in his eternal rest. Instead, Mr. Kravinov was forced to continue living. The results of his behavior due to this time of suffering are hardly his fault. The man has a known history of mental illness in his family and his age, and, and at his age, there must be a notable amount of mental deterioration. My client's pursuit of Steve Rogers and James Logan Hollett are demonstrations of compassion that my client was not afforded by the Spider-Man. The men with whom he came in conflict are of the same age and have demonstrated their own questionable state of mental health repeatedly. What of the others, you ask? Regarding the pursuit of the dinosaur people, Mr. Kravinov's misguided actions were not in isolation. He was encouraged, nay, hired by the city to continue his hunt. Finally, in a society we find that Justice is so often neglected. 
Are we to blame a man born over a century ago of serving justice to those without morals? The villains and poachers have damaged society for far longer than Mr. Kravinov's life. He has witnessed these crimes perpetuated against nature and his fellow man for so long. Can we blame him for his actions? His attempts at doling out justice? I ask you, can we? And then prosecution. As the defense has reminded us repeatedly, Mr. Sergei Kravinov has, Kravinov has lived for over 10 decades. He's experienced so much over the course of his life on at least three different continents. He claims to adhere to a strict moral code and yet he perpetuates chaos in his selfish pursuit of the so-called greatest hunt. One would expect a man of such high moral code to learn and improve over the course of his life. However, Mr. Kravinov has demonstrated nothing of the sort. And at the end of his life, he repeatedly demonstrates this in pursuit of his weakened prey, including the elderly and unstable, as the defense alluded to in the case of Mr. Howlett and Mr. Rogers. Mr. Kravinov manipulated the people of New York to fund his pursuit of the poor mutilated people living within the sewers who have done nothing to damage us citizens. And why, I must ask, why must there be such a renowned such a renowned hunter requires such an extensive number of backup soldiers. He puts their lives at risk, and some do perish, all in the pursuit of a lie. Finally, his so-called last hurrah is nothing more than an act of ego that is incongruous with the identity that he holds so dear. The hunter? Pitting average humans against each other? He is nothing but a voyeur that puts the entire city of Manhattan at risk. What happens as so often, what, what will happen as so often does if the safety measures fail and the villains are able to escape? Certainly our dear Mr. Kravinov could not hunt them down as we have seen his ineptitude. This act, this game is only a means of drawing attention to Craven himself as he seeks to conclude his own life. And that conclusion is yet another act of deception subjecting one of his remaining family members to endless trauma, having unknowingly committed patricide. Where is the moral code in that? Where is the honor? Beautifully done, my friend. That's wonderful. And also, welcome to Great Balkan Trials. Yay! <laughs> it's a whole education. Uh, this section, uh, Anya, I know you had some thoughts on the portrayal of Craven in this era. Nick Spencer's long run on Spider-Man cleans up a lot of stories that I think, think people thought were problematic. And this is one of the stories he tackles, and he does it really big, in that he lets Craven die, but he still leaves us with a Craven. So we still have Craven the Hunter running around as the clone and the crazy, but uh, but he he lets Sergei go to rest again in kind of the uh the follow-up to last uh the, the last hunt which is it's not as effectively done uh do you have any thoughts you want to share on on this final section and craven's death no i mean it's it's an interesting run um the core issues that you mentioned earlier on are um i think the high points of it easy enough uh okay do we have questions and comments from the jury based on this section craven committing more crimes and more murders, and then eventually becoming very self-involved and killing a whole bunch of people. Uh, I think it's also important to note on the prosecutorial side, he created all these clones of himself and who knows how many people they went on to kill. And also all of the people that his son has killed, he is kind of responsible for in its own way. Uh, there is lots of hunting of innocent animal creatures in this section. Uh, thoughts and questions from the jury? 
I have a question that really means nothing to, to my score, but you said the there were he ha, he's had the pictures of himself and his children uh, in his latest casket. Is that all eighty-seven of them, or only the Victorias? No, that was <laughs> that was a hell of a that was him as a child with his okay. parents. So this is uh, pre okay. In his original one, but in his second death, there's a picture of him and the clones uh, left behind. If if memory is serving me correctly. Not remembering that, but that doesn't mean that you're wrong. Uh, other questions and comments from the jury on this section. Daniel, go ahead. Oh, you're not here. You're right. It's only a handful of them. Only some. Only the good ones. Wait, are they all naked? They're, they got loincloths on or something. <laughs> oh, that's such a cool picture, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel, I'm going to put myself on. I'm going to put myself on mute because somebody's leaf blowing outside. Uh, I have to admire the um, convoluted way in which he went about getting those clones. Like, there are a lot of people in the Marvel Universe capable of cloning, and, and I, ha I have to admire the, the purge arenaing of all the animal heroes and villains to get the high evolutionary's attention uh, in order to make 87 clones of himself to then have them fight until one is left. It's just wild and props props for the effort um uh, i don't he's he's like my children suck the only perfect child will be myself <laughs> oh my god yeah. it's insane these 87 clones start out as children right they 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 grow up they know each other as siblings he rapidly ages them basically but yes apparently then, then they have to hunt each other down <laughs> that's the most is that not the most horrific case of childhood or childhood abuse in uh, in, in in comics uh and then we also get that wild story where all the animal themed villains and heroes are in central park it's like white rabbit and toad and people from the serpent society and vulture and like all these characters are it's it's a pretty fun read as far as like marvel fans go <laughs> it's uh, it's fun uh other questions in this section okay uh we're going to do a quick thing here to save time. If you are voting five, raise your hand in this section. If we have others, I'll call on you individually. So it's everyone but Anya. Anya, what is your vote here? Three for Anya. Which will, us, which will give us a 28 out of 30 in that section. Okay, that gives us an 87% on the scale for Craven, which is pretty high, but this guy's a pretty bad guy. As we are wrapping up, I want to thank my jury members, not only for the time you took to prepare and put all this together creatively, but just to come hang out with me today. These are long recordings and I really appreciate you all sitting down with me on a Sunday afternoon and having fun. I had a blast today. As we are uh, wrapping up, let everybody know where they can find you online. We're gonna put this out the last Thursday in April. So if you've got anything you'd like to plug, that's where you'd wanna time it for. And uh, what are your final thoughts on uh, Craven the Hunter as we are wrapping up? Uh, let's go with Daniel first. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of cosplay things at Hossaburn, H-A-U-S-O-F-B-Y-R-N-E. Um, coming out last Thursday of April. For the next two months or so, if you are in the um, SoCal area, I will be doing cabarets over at Improv City. Uh, otherwise, uh, catch me on Instagram. Hit me up. I love new friends. And final thoughts on Craven? Oh my God, what a guy. Um, I will, 
I will take that one night stand with the collar and the whip, and then I will call it a day and hopefully never see him ever again. Assuming you survived. He's got jungle potions. Fair point. <laughs> uh, let's go to Anya next. Um, okay, so you can find me on Instagram at Daughters of Magneto. Um, and what else am I supposed to say? Plugging myself, <laughs> that's really it. <laughs> and, uh, any final thoughts on Craven? Final thoughts on Craven. Um, I had one and then I completely, there's, there's some part of this that, oh, you know what I want? I want just a whole side quest of him going after the CEO of Jimmy John's. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And then over to Corey. Uh, so yeah, you cannot find me anywhere. I don't, uh, I don't create content, but, uh, soon as this is over with, I'm having a session zero for a D&D campaign that we will be recording and eventually releasing. So look for that sometime in the future, uh, unless it's really awful and we just decide not to post it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the final thoughts on Craven the Hunter. I, he's kind of like that stepdad that you don't want to be just like, but you got to kind of pick and grab the cool things about him to like emulate and uh, you know, you're not going to be abusive. You're not going to have so much machismo that it, that it gets in the way of like being an actual decent person in society. But uh, I found some of those aspects, uh, some aspects of him really, really cool and fun to read. And just the, uh, the consideration of being just honor bound and uh, as he is and as consistent as he is, I really appreciate it. Fantastic. And then Tristan. My final thoughts on Craven are that he can, in spite of all of the terrible things he's done and the terrible person that he is, he can shoot me with his hallucinogenic nipple lasers anytime he wants. <laughs> uh, you can find you can find me online at this only Twitter account. Um, you can reach me there if uh, you need to, just because I know it's probably the um, uh, probably the least complicated social media platform to reach me on. Uh, uh, it is at Tristan Palmgren, that's uh, T-R-I-S-T-A-N-P-A-L-M-G-R-E-N. Uh, and for billionaire-related reasons, though, I am mostly spending uh, my time on Mastodon, where you can find me at, at that same name on the server called wandering.shop. Um, you can also look up my books, uh, my Marvel books and other books, anywhere where you buy books. Phenomenal. And then finally, Alicia. All right. So you can find me in two places on the internet, mostly all over the internet at the ex-wife podcast. That's T-H-E-X-W-I-F-E as in X-Men, not former wife. And you can also find me on Instagram at Wilder Moves if you want to follow my cosplay. Um, we just talk weekly not just, but we talk weekly X books on the podcast. Um, we'll be at some cons this year. So hopefully we'll see y'all there. Um, yeah. So that's what we're up to. Uh, that's what you can look forward to. And um, I will be working. I don't know if y'all saw the recent um, sneak peeks at the new shadow cat look, but you can expect to see that and a rescue in for me sometime soon. 
Um, and what do I think about Craven after this? Well, I'll tell you what. He's a lot more complex than I gave him credit for at the beginning of this. <laughs> so, you know, that's definitely interesting. And I got to say, someone who was brought back to life after they didn't want to be anymore, it definitely tugged on my heartstrings in a way that I wasn't expecting Craven to do. So you learn something new every day. Uh, thank you, everyone. I really appreciate uh, all of the jury members coming. This is, again, a huge assignment each time. I'm so happy to see you all. Uh, lastly, I'm Chad Anderson. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but you can find me on Gray Malcolm P, P Like Podcast on Twitter, Gray Malcolm underscore Lane on Instagram. We have amazing content coming forward. The very next episode out on the main show after this is going to be three professional drag queens coming and doing a photo fashion review of all of the 1960s X-Men costumes. And it's going to be amazing. And then we're reviewing uh, the Savage Hulk series by Alan Davis from a few years back set in pre-continuity. After that, we get to start launching into X-Men The Hidden Years. It's a whole new era on the show. Uh, Patreon, uh, after this, if you'd like to support the show, go sign up for our Patreon. It's only $3 a month for four incredible bonus episodes. Uh, many of my guests here have been on the Patreon with me before, and some are coming back uh, soon. Uh, our, our next Patreon after this is going to be on the character Lifeguard with my friend Jamie Faye. Right after that, we get to do Beast's Family, the McCoys with Regina Givens, and both are going to be wildly fun episodes. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, for your ongoing support, and we will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Blade. Thank you for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Grey Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah, with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon, where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts. Uh, it's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Grandma Can Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Grandma Can Lane.